Hey, yo, Internet, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is sponsored by Bevel, the superior shaving system designed for people with coarse, curly hair, and sensitive skin. It's about that time, Internet, it's that, that midway between when it's icy cold outside and when the birds are going to start chirping again. Say we want to look fresh when it's cold outside and be prepared when the weather changes, man. Go to GetBevel.com, punch in promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, for 20% off your first purchases and orders. That's Bevel, the superior shaving system for people designed, people with coarse curly hair and sensitive skin. Yo, stop fucking shaving like an idiot and shave like a king. Go to GetBevel.com. And now back to the show. Hey, yo, internets, you tuned into the Combat Jack Show. The CombatJackShow.com. Yo, Mena, what's up with that website, man? We're good. What do we mean? Are we up? You didn't send me the link, man. No, by the time this episode. By the time we said that last week. <laughs> we said that the week before. Yo, yo, internet, send all voicemail. All your voicemails, Complaints all your Twitters. To Jonathan. To Jonathan Mena. At Jonathan Mena. At Jonathan Mena. If the website is not up, man, you can, you have license. You know how y'all niggas be trying to rip me a new asshole? Rip that nigga a new asshole. Right now it's all on Jonathan Mena's shoulders. That man carries the fate. Of the website right now. It's not on me anymore, internet. Yo, listen. Second of all, I want to handle some business. Yeah. That motherfucker that left the voicemail. Ether. On the Combat Jack Show hotline bling last week. You got Ether. I don't even know how to feel about it, man. You all in your feelings. He called you Haitian defecation. Haitian I know, nigga. King. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know what the nigga called me. (laughs) I know what he called me. You had all types of... Yo, you 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 going at me on the shield, the Phi Beta Sigma? Yo, Yo you was so listen, and 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 I feel you, bro. I feel your pain. The Combat Jack Show is an institution that lifts people up. We're talking about raise the bar. We try to you know achieve black excellence. So to have the dirtiest cop in the history of New York City, NYPD. <laughs> I understand that might be a front to some, but that's what we do, man. We give everybody a platform. Now, brother, I'm going to tell you this. I feel a kind of ways, but you were so entertaining. Please call back. Please call back. <laughs> yeah, we tried to call you, but you, you blocked yeah, your and, number, Yeah, bro. don't be bitch made, man. This, this is all family, man. This is all organic. This is all a community, regardless if I know y'all or not. Except if y'all really mean ill intent. Leave your number, man. Leave. Where can we reach you, man? Don't be calling here all anonymous, so angry and anonymous. We don't do that over here. Say with your chest, my nigga. Maybe we have you up here one day screaming at me. But don't leave that shit all anonymous, man. No, no, no halfway crooks up in this shit. All right, <laughs> peace, yo. What else are we gonna talk about before we jump into this? Very. I'm so happy about this episode right now. I don't yo. have the flus no more. Or how you feeling, man? I feel like 99. I don't have the flus no more. I don't have to whisper. I can say this shit with my chest. How you doing, King? I'm good, man. We Feeling lost good. 25 pounds, man. Uh, you know, progress, Yo, man. Yo, that sweatsuit like, look like a cape on you right now. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> you look like sweatsuit, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yo, you good, funny. man? Yeah, yeah, we good. We Yo, good, you man. off You off the carbs or halfway off the carbs? Nah, not off, but just, you know, just just work. It's just being active. That's the Treadmill? Shit. 
Treadmill, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yo, I got an issue with, with Planet Fitness, though, man. It'd be like, yes. You got an issue oh, with Planet Fitness? God. It'd be so crowded. How but... the fuck do you have an issue with Planet Fitness? Yeah, I felt the, like I was on the... The niggas on a... is $5 a month. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about it's just so crowded. But you Because know, it's $5 a month. I, I found a spot, though. I mean, not that you would care. Man, Latino mommies. Yo, hey, stay yo, focused. listen. Do they serve Brooklyn. pizza? In, do they serve pizza in yours? I seen it though. I seen it one day. Yo, I was like, I couldn't believe it because I'm like, yo, they really do this shit. Yo, God, I heard about it, but I was like, nah, this ain't real. God bless you to be so focused and to be nah, losing just, so much weight in a gym that serves pizza. That's ridiculous. And Tootsie Roll. Yeah, to, that's, and that's, after your workout, you buying Coca Cola. <laughs> crazy. You be buying Sprite. Nah, man. Mountain Dew. Nope. Water. Fanta. Seventy-five cent for the water. <laughs> Yo, you looking Half great, off. my dude. You looking great, man. Stay focused, yeah, man. Don't worry yeah. about all. Just stay in your zone, man. It's twenty-four hours. It be crowded twenty-four hours. Not all of them are twenty-four hours. But how many do you go to? I had to. I had to go on a mission to find the right one. I could. Which one do you go to? I'm not telling the internet. Tell the internet. You're that anonymous caller gonna try to run up run on up nah, on man. You, we ain't run doing up none of that. Yo, let's do it, man. Which nah, one I'm, you go to? The one downtown? No, it's in Brooklyn. I know. Oh, I know the one. You go on Fulton Street. Nope. Crown Heights. Nope. Yo, internet's fine. Yo, fine nope. A King. Fine A it's King. It's two that I go to. At Planet you... Fitness at midnight on Fulton <laughs> Street. Get his autograph. Give him some new music. For no. a weekly drop. Everything. <laughs> it's in the it's in the it's in the gentrify area. Okay. Near the L train. I'll say that much. Okay, so I even so... see Matt Raz over there. Oh, so what up, out, Matt? You out, you out in Williamsburg Bushwick? <laughs> go to the Bushwick section right now. Catch that nigga. Give him all your demos. Listen, I'm not going to waste this man's time anymore. <laughs> One more thing. Genghis Kells says she might be here. You know, she she works between here and another state. She gets it out <laughs> in another state. She might be here tonight. I would love to be her for her to be yes. here. If not, the show goes on. Yo, Geng- Genghis Kells salutes. Yo, internets. Um, I've been following this man's career since... Um, I want to say 88 um, when he was down with the illest MC of all time. You know I'm partial to Brooklyn MC, so, <laughs> you know, he's fucked with the best of the best that's ever graced the mic. Um, incredible DJ, incredible contribution to this culture, mm-hmm. resilient. You know what I'm saying? A lot of niggas start shit. A lot of niggas talk shit. <laughs> A lot of niggas say they're going to carry this shit. But none of you motherfuckers finish this shit like this man right here. You thought about it, that in the car on the way. No, no, no. I'm saying it right now. I'm so spontaneous. See, I'm so spontaneous right now. Internets. Yo, it is with warm heart that I welcome to the Combat Jack Show. DJ Mr. C. Yo, it, then first and foremost, thank y'all for having me. Yes, yes. sir. Second of all, it's so hard for me to call you Combat Jack because I know you as Reggie Osei, okay. B.I.G.'s lawyer. That's what I know you as. Okay, well, let's let's clarify. Understand, I never represented Big as much as I worked with the Hitman producers. So D-Dot, Ange- you right. know, Derek Angeletti, right. Nasheem, Ron Lawrence, um, Stevie J. J. You know, so... But I remember coming to your office and getting a check from you. You okay. don't remember that. We I talked about that off the mic. Now, what was the I check came, for? I, I can't remember. Was it me or Ed Woods? No, it was you. you. Okay. I came to see you for a check during okay. the, during that Biggie time. Okay. I came to see you and then... I don't know if you remember Big had an accountant called Howard Comart. He yes, was I way up. Howard Comart. He Howard was, Comart with he, a big mustache. Right. He was way up he in uh, like Westchester. He fuck you up. He was way in <laughs> Westchester. Yeah. And I remember I had to go get a check from him. Yes. So it's just... It's kind of... You know, it's it's weird. I'm in. I'm. I'm here with wow. the the other side, right? Mm. Because I know Reg on a, on a whole nother level. But you know, what I mean, I'm honored to be here. Nah, thank so. you, man. You look great, man. Thank you, brother. Yo, listen, man. 
What's up with tropical fantasy, man? Oh, tropical fantasy. I be in the, I be in Brooklyn, <laughs> and I be seeing, I be seeing the trucks. And Mister C, you got the joints on, my nigga. I love joints, and you holding the, you got your own flavor, tropical fantasy. For for, for for those that don't know what tropical fantasy is, it's, it's, it's a soda that um that's sold based here in the East Coast. And a couple of years back, I did a deal with them. They actually came to me and okay. wanted to do a deal with me, an endorsement deal. And um, the deal only lasted for like two years, but my face is still on the truck throughout New York truck. City. Right. And, you know, they don't really sell the soda no more. But um, they came to me about doing this this pitch with somebody that actually worked for Tropical Fantasy in Brooklyn. They, they originally wanted to do five DJs from each borough, one DJ from each borough. And uh, somebody that worked at the company said, nah, just do Mr. C. Right. And they came at me with a two-year deal and got some bread out of it. And, you know, and uh, you know they call that soda the crack soda because it's like 50 cents <laughs> in the hood. Now, you had your own flavor. I had my own flavor. Island, Island Punch. Island Punch Finisher. That was Finisher. my flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my own soda. So, so, but, so you got to tell them to take your pictures off right now, man, because they still selling it, see? Nah, they don't, they don't sell it. I see the truck, see? No, the truck, they, the, the truck with my face is still on it, but they right. don't sell the soda no more. What are they, what are they moving in there? Tell them well, well they move in the regular. They move in, they move in the regular um, tropical fantasy, and I try to get at them about taking the picture down, right. but they like ah, soon coming, yeah, soon, soon coming, and it just <laughs> never just, just really happened. Reggio say the nah, don't hire me, man. <laughs> don't hire me, man. Hire Lando, but they treated me good, <laughs> you know. For the two years right. I did the deal, they treated me good, and so shout out to uh uh, actually I forget the company that owns them, right? Um, but shout out to Tropical Fantasy that 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 rocked with me a couple of years back. Now you looking good, man. You working out? Nah, I just um. Honestly, stop drinking that tropical fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man, less stress. Okay. Just a lot, just less stress, man. Good, man. I mean, you know, um, I'm not on a diet mm-hmm. or nothing like that, but just less stress. Um, I get a lot more rest now. I don't play with my sleep. Sleep is important. Sleep is important, right? Drink a lot of water. Sleep is important. Sleep right? is super important. Yo, I be at home now. And it's, if it's before 11 o'clock and I don't have nothing to do, I just lay out. I take a nap every day. I must yeah. take a nap yes, every yes, day. But yes. my naps is like sleeps because I'll take a three to five hour nap right. every day. Right, right, right. So sleep is important. And, um, you know, I drink a lot of water. Um, and I try to stick to grilled or grilled or steamed food okay. as much as I can. Right. Towards the weekend, that's when I'll cheat. But I try to stick. But I'm not on a diet, man. It's just literally just rest, less stress. That's crazy, man. Now, how is it over at Radio 103.9? Um, it's, it's great. It's great. I've been over there now since, uh, what, December 13th of nice. 2015. Nice. Um, and uh, for those that don't know about the station, it's, it's a new radio station here in New York City. Um, I'm on six days a week. I'm on Monday through Friday. I'm on three times a day. So they got me on three Monday. Three slots? Th- Three slots. I'm on three times a day, Monday through Friday. What slots? I'm on 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. I do a mix called the Coffee Break Mix, which is like 15 minutes. Then I bring the throwback at noon over there Mm -hmm. that I used to do at Hot 97. That's that's what I'm familiar with. Right. So I'm on every day, Monday through Friday at 12 noon with the throwback at noon. And then I do another show on Saturday night called the Classic Showcase where I play five hours of throwback hip-hop. And it's commercial-free. And actually, um, our station, 103.9 here in New York, we're the only station in New York that play throwback hip-hop all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Why is that rare in New York? Because uh, you would think at this juncture, 
2016, as the as the, as the culture has matured, right? As the as the as the as the consumers have matured, you you have people like myself right now pushing to 50. Mm-hmm. You know, that's looking at life insurance and mortgage, and we're a different type of buyer. We're not going to listen to jazz, right? We're not going to just jump into R and B. We still want to fuck with hip hop. Why right. is that so rare? I think because um, you know, with the uh, with the other stations that's involved in heavy competition, <laughs> like Hot 97 and 105. It's like the competition is so uh, they is so intense that nobody wants to take that risk, right. especially in in the, in the PPM rating system that mm. that you deal with in terrestrial radio. Um, you know, nobody wants to take that risk because you know you could play a certain record and uh, the minute you play that record, the meter, the PPM meter will drop, right. which tell you that nobody's listening. Right. So it's 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 a bigger risk for some of those radio stations to take. And being that we're a news radio station and we're like, we're going to just do what we're going to do. Right. It's, you know, when you're new and you're fresh, you want to be different so yes. you can get uh, uh, attention and get that attraction. You have to your own lane and, and have your own lane. So we're the only station in New York that play throwback hip hop all day on Saturday all day on Sunday. We call it the weekend boombox. And then I do, like I said, I do the show on Saturday from seven to midnight. Um, and um, it's been working. You know, uh, a lot of people, you know, you can listen to us on the app, the Radio 103.9 app, iTunes, Google Play. You can get the free app or stream us live, Radio1039ny.com. But, the, you know, the biggest response we're getting is really that weekend boombox. People yeah. love it. I mean, we, we jump from Run DMC to Wu-Tang. You'll hear a Wu-Tang Clan record at 2 in the afternoon. Yeah, Meth and Mary. Right, right. And you know, you'll go, and, then we, and then we've been starting to do themes. So we'll mm-hmm. do like all Brooklyn hip-hop, artists that came from Brooklyn or artists that came from the Bronx. Or we'll do like uh, the the best hip-hop from 1993 from certain years. So it's it's really working for us, and, and we're not going to stop. We're going to keep doing it. How are the numbers? I mean, are you The numbers is great. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the numbers is really... The, the, the numbers solid. is great, solid, um, growing, you know, growing, picking up every Which is month. Important, nice. grow, you know, and and um, and we have a new CEO at 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 the at the uh, at the broadcasting company that one hundred three nine is is a part of, which is uh, Cumulus Radio. So we have a new CEO named Mary Berna. Um, Berna, and she actually works out of the station where we broadcast from, which is uh, Two Penn Plaza, right directly in front of Master Square Garden. Right. So now that she's there and she's hands on and she's there every day to see not only our station, but some of the other stations that's from the uh, Cumulus Broadcasting Cluster, she's seeing the potential of what this thing can really be. So, you know, we're going to, you know, there's going to be some other things that we're going to be doing later on down the line to to improve and, and, and to get more listenership. But so far, so good. You know, radio is an interesting beast in that um, it could be very unforgiving. Right. Um, and you've been in radio for so long, man. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still in love with radio, man? I still love radio. Yes. I still love radio just as much as I loved it when I was at High 97. Actually, doing this Radio 103.9 thing is like starting all over for me. Mm. Because it's like a whole so new, more, that, that's it's a saying. whole new beginning. Right. It's a whole new situation. It's not the same music. It's not um, the same pressure. It's not the yeah, and, and, and the pressure. The, the pressure is not even really the the issue. You know, it's really more of the freedom. Right. Just the freedom to just you know, if I want to do like with the, with, with, the, with the show I do on Saturday night um, at 10 p.m. I do this thing called the 10 p.m. Artist Spotlight, where I play one hour of one artist every Saturday at 10. So, you know, like last week I did Fat Joe, all Fat mm. Joe in that hour. Uh, you know I mean? This Saturday I'm going to do all Foxy Brown. Uh, you know, it was Bob Marley's birthday that right. fell on a Saturday. Right. I did all Bob Marley. It's crazy. So it's just the, the freedom that I have to be a little bit more creative than um, 
than I was at the tail end of Hot 97. Because even at the when I first started doing the throwback at noon at Hot 97, I had the freedom. And right. then once the PPM meter situation started going into your lane, right? It, it just kind of just changed everything up or whatever the case is. So, but with this situation, it's 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 starting over. It's starting fresh. Something new. Something different. Anti-ratchet radio is what I call it. Anti-ratchet, yes. So, I mean, there's still elements of ratchet from back in the day, though. Um, I mean, woo back then was kind of no, no, little, yo, no. I mean, that's neck, the, I mean, you old know, dirty bastard. I mean, I mean, but but still, that was old dirty shit. still made a lot of sense of what he was saying when right. he was rhyming. That's true. You know, now with these new cats, it's like you don't understand what the hell they're right, saying. Right, right. So that's what I mean by anti-ratchet radio. It's like, you know, from anything from the 80s to like the early 2000s. Anyway, anything anything to like 2007, you know, that's when it was like, you know, okay, the quality well, of music I, I got, was good. Listen, Interesting. Apache. Apache from Gangsta Bitch. Gangsta Bitch. That's a little ratchet. Yeah, but that. But you know, you know how many girls take that record as a love song? I mean, too? it's a great song. You know what I mean? It's an amazing song. You know what I mean? But I mean, God what, bless the dead because he was an amazing songwriter. Right. But still, I look at ratchet as something that you don't understand. It's just. You're more into it because of the beat, not so much of what the artist is saying. Send me that pussy There's no the lyrical DM. content that's really making sense right, of right. what's going on right, in the right. record. Mumble rap. Right. That's what's ratchet okay, to me. Okay. Let's go back, man. Bet's and by the way, speaking of ratchet, Future has the greatest ratchet album of all time Ooh, with Future. DS2. That's just, you know, you know what I mean? Future State, Future's like, Future's <laughs> killing it right now. Yeah, that's like the greatest ratchet album to me. I mean, it used to be Thug Motivation 101, Young Jeezy for me. Right. But then I think uh, uh, Future yeah. took the cake with the greatest ratchet slash trap album of all time what's your favorite contemporary record right now um oof. wow that's a good that's a good question um hip-hop wise yeah um wow that's a good question uh i mean i i'm just really proud of Fred, fetty wap just yes. overall his whole right, movement right. what he uh what he has become mm-hmm I mean, you know. Yeah, last year was such a big year for that. Yeah, I, and I hope he continues on this year. But um, and that was Trap Queen was actually the last record I broke on Hot ninety seven before I wow. left. So maybe that's why it's kind of near and dear to me right, because right, right, right. to see what you know where he came from from Patterson, New Jersey, all the way until what he's accomplished now. I'm just really proud of that guy. Yeah. So I, I would have to say Fetty Wap. Okay, you know who I'm a little upset at? Who? When we had uh, Yo Gotti on mm. last year, and then a month later he dropped a DM, DM record. record and it's- Nah, is that a mod that and I've been I, I, like yoga. I've been a, I've been a Yo Gotti fan for years, Yo, and I'm just I'm happy from a New York perspective yes. that he's finally kind of broke ground because he's been he's been big in other markets, but right. he never really broke right. ground he's, in New he's York. He's here right now, so he's here. He's definitely here, man. Yeah. So so you came up in uh, Bed Stuy, right? Came up in Bed Stuy in the seventies, the eighties. Mm-hmm. Where's your family from? Um, half of my family is from the South, like okay. Atlanta. Okay. And my father's side of the that's my mother's side, Atlanta, and my father's side of the family is Trinidad. Okay, Trini, um, so, Trini. So Trinidad and some um, some other people in my family from my father's side lives in Canada, Toronto, um, and so that's 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 my mix, Southern and and Trini. Trinidadian. It's it's amazing, man. I was listening to your great interview with with our friends uh, Juan Epstein, mm-hmm. and um, I kind of got a glimpse as to where you got your hustlers mentality from. Mm-hmm. Like your pops was really a hustler. Yeah, my pops like you know used to run numbers. You know when I was a youngster, so uh, you know I 
I, I started living with my grandparents at age five and a half, right. and then my father would come get me at the, on the weekends. And when he would come get me, we would just go up and down Fulton Street, and he was just going in different stores, running those numbers, and you know what I mean, or whatever the case is. So I seen, you know, that that type of side, right. you know, what I mean, from from early on or whatever the case is. Even though he tried to hide it from me, was he not sharing gems with you about? Well, he wasn't sharing gems about what he was doing on right. the hustling side, right, right, but he right. was sharing gems about just stuff that he's been through and, and stuff that I need to understand, especially what he always instilled in me was, you know, about where I come from as far as my Trinidadian side and to embrace it. People are going to make fun of you, but just always um, mm, represent where you're from. To know that. Huh? He had the foresight to know yeah. that. Yeah, because, you know, back then, you know, if I would get teased. If you wasn't Jamaican, you wasn't. Right. Or if you, you know, if you was, if you was, if you was besides American, if you was Haitian or if you was Jamaican. Haitian. I'm Haitian right here. So I say. Yeah. So, you, you know, if you was Haitian or, or, or Jamaican or Trinidadian or anything besides American, you would get teased in school. Right, right, right. Like, you know, I used to get to you, you coming off a banana boat and stuff like that. And you got corduroy hair because my hair used to always be nappy. Like, oh, you got corduroy <laughs> hair. You know, and I used to tell my father these things. And he's like, yo, don't don't be ashamed of where you come right, from. Right, you know, right, you're right, going to understand later on that you, you should be proud of where you come from. So that's one of the main things that he always instilled in me growing up. Right. He was also selling that weed. Uh, selling the weed, he was selling the he was selling the weed and 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 and, and running the numbers. He was just an all around hustler, and um, you know, he was in the navy. My father was in the wow, navy, so, so he was disciplined. Yeah, so he came home from the navy, and that's when he started, you know, getting getting into that. That's you know crazy. what I mean, or whatever the case is. But you know, he had the discipline side, and then he had that hustler hustling side, or whatever the case is. So, um, I kind of learned both of those things from him. What's the most What's the most memorable lesson you remember from your pops? Ah, oh, man, it's just. It's nothing really in particular that I, you know, it's not one really thing that he just said to me that, that kind of stuck with me. It, it, it was just all the time, just, just drilling in my head about just always being proud of where you come from. Right. Don't be of shame that, uh, you know, who your father is and right. what your father represents right, right. or whatever the case is. Just, you know, stand tall and stand proud of where you come from. I used to, you know, spend weekends with him and he would just always play Bob Marley in the crib and he would like just, you know, teach me about who Bob Marley was and how, even though Bob Marley was Jamaican and he's Trinidadian, but just all, we're all one. The whole Caribbean right. culture is one. Particularly what Bob Marley meant for a West Indian to break into right. a black West mm. Indian to break international ground. Absolutely. Yeah. So he taught me, you know, all of those type of things. So it wasn't nothing, it wasn't anything in particular. It was just a whole bunch of things that he just taught me. But the one thing that he did not like, um, was that he would tell me stuff and I sometimes I wouldn't understand him because he had such a accent. Right. So he would talk and I'd be like, huh? Boy, you don't understand what your father's saying? I don't like, understand. Like he I'm... really hated that I didn't understand right. what he was. And I ha had that, to ask him two, three Western, times. That's just that Western Indian. You know what I mean? He, and, but that really made him upset. And then right. as I got older, I got to understand the drawl and the slang right. and all that type right, of right, stuff. Right. But that, when I was a kid, that really made him upset. Right. Now, what'd your mother do, man? My mother was a hustler too. Right. You know, my mother, That's crazy. My mother, my what mother. What was she hustling? Anything and everything you could think of. Wow. Girl. Anything wow. and everything you could think of. You know, my mother, my mother was kind of more of the boss than my father. Right. You know, when I look at them growing up, because the crazy thing is like my mother was like six feet and my father was like five foot four, five foot five. Wow. So, but my mother like really was like the boss. You feel what I'm saying? And then when my mother and father split up, she started hustling and then she got into drugs and right, stuff like right, that right, too. Right. And, um, but she was, you know, I, I remember one time going to see my moms and 
she straight up beat a dude with a broomstick, like Damn. some dude that she was messing with, a dude she used to mess with. Right. He tried to come up there and bark on her, and we was sitting on the stoop, and she, she was like, "I'll be right back," and came back with a broomstick and just cracked the nigga head open. Shit. Like, and you couldn't even stop her. I wasn't even, I man, I was like, I wasn't even seventeen at That's that time. Crazy. So my mother was like really like thorough, like you know what I mean, or That's whatever crazy. the case is. Right, right. Always was able to take care of herself, even though she got into the drug situation, but. She always took care of herself and handled her own business. Now, now I heard about how you burned down the house, man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You burned down your house at five years old, man. Yeah, like five years old, I burned down the the crib. Um, Like I said, my father and my mother used to run out and, you know, go do whatever they was doing. So when they would leave, I was in charge. Right. And I'm in charge at five years old, so uh, that's a lot. That's a lot, see? Yeah. And that's a lot of trauma, too, man. Well, I mean, back... You know, thinking when, about it, right. big, thinking about it, it, it didn't seem like it was trauma. Right. You know, it was you, just when you're a kid, you're a sponge, you're not, you're right. resilient, and you know, you don't really don't know any better. Right. You're just doing what your your parents are telling you to do. So right. when they left, they was like, you know, make sure you cook breakfast for your brothers, because it was like all you know four of us. So I'm trying to cook some eggs and bacon over the stove or whatever the case is, and I think I left the kitchen. To check on my baby brother, he was in the crib at the time, and, and the house just blew yo, up in flames. Yo, wait, did you think you was in the biggest trouble? I wasn't really thinking about it like that. I was just really thinking about trying to get my brothers <laughs> right, out of there. Right, right, right. And, and somehow when, nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. Right, oh, my, my, right. my brothers, the only the, the 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 baby, my brother Shannon, who was a baby in the crib at the time, my father had to go back in the crib to go get him because the crib was on the other side of the bed and the bed was on fire. Damn. So. Me and my other two brothers left, and then somehow somebody got to my father in time, and he ran in the crib while the fire department was in there. That's crazy. And went and get, got my baby that's, brother. That's crazy, man. Uh, what's your earliest recollection of music, man? Like I said, other than Bob Marley, like other like than- like I mean, but that's really that's kind of really where it started off. I mean, um, I got a picture on my phone. I want to show y'all real right. quick. Okay. Speaking of being that y'all talking about, <laughs> I'm gonna show um, Combat Jack. A picture of me, you know, sometimes they tell you, you know, you're destined, you know, like you, you, you have a destiny to, right. to you was to born do to do something. Right, 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 right. This is a picture of me three years old holding a 45 disc. Wow. <laughs> Yo, and you look ready too. Man. <laughs> you posted that yet? Is this, is this... I posted it yet plenty of times. Nah, I'm going I'm to I'm 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 flip this. This is dope, man. Yeah, so, you know, I so I mean, ever since I can remember, I was right. always into music. Right. So you knew you were going to do something. I mean, it was just, it was always instilled in me because right. from, from, you know, messing around with the record player at around three, four years old and then my father. That record player right there behind you. That record player behind me. That's crazy. And that was on, that was, you know, when I lived in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn and, um, Messing with the record player and and the crazy thing is like my parents just they they allowed me to do it they right. you know I'm just you know just messing with it and just making the record scratch and you know p- pulling the needle back and forth on a 45 disc but they was allowing me to do it that's crazy man and especially then, people back there who really valued their environment absolutely and so and then then you know my father you know introduced me to some music and then really my uncle my uncle was a my DJ. uncle Barry. Uncle Barry was a DJ. Yeah, he was a DJ in the in the, in the late seventies in the right. disco era, right. the breakbeat disco era, and that's when I really started picking up the craft um, because I was living with my grandmother at the time, and that was my grandmother's son, and watching him DJ, him and my next door neighbor Anthony, that's how I really started to pick up the craft of learning how to DJ. You know, I'm not going to take anything away from kids that didn't grow up in that era, but I just remember that period of time, right before hip hop hit, right. 
like and 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 the the, the types of records that DJs would play mm-hmm. like it just it just seemed like it prepared the next gener- generation of DJs like yourself right. to be so versatile cuz you played disco right you played the 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 Dr. Loves right you played the the Chic right you played the the Bra right. and you know the the 7 minutes of mm-hmm. funk records that would become instrumental in right. hip hop but we didn't know what hip hop yet right was. we didn't even know what it was right. we just would take a, a certain part of the record that was the break part of it and we would just go back and forth on that record and bring the record back so you know like all those artists you just said and those records you just said or brass construct Br- mm. Brass construction, right. and and you know different types of groups. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Rest in peace to Maurice White. Yes. All of those type of artists, we would take their, their, their the break of their records and bring it back and forth, and 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 that later became what's known to to everybody now as hip hop. I remember this day specifically in, I want to say seventy eight. I was sitting on my boy's stoop. My boy was working in Manhattan. Manhattan was still like miles away, mm-hmm. and he kept telling me about rap got to hear these niggas rap i was like what are you talking about he said you got to hear these niggas rap and then one day he came on the porch and he had the grandmaster flash and the furious five tape and the minute he put that shit in my whole world changed i'll never forget that shit it was a friday afternoon and i was like yo whatever that shit is right. i'm gonna do that shit for the rest of my life what was your first rap moment man i think you know uh, for me it's just just radio just listening right. to the radio um, so you had already heard the Sugar Hill Gang. Well, you know, it started from it started from hearing like you know the Cold Crush Brothers and mm. those those battles those with the Cold Crush right. and the battling the Fantastic Freaks or the Fantastic, Fantastic Five, Five. You know what I mean? Or you know hearing a Busy B tape because mm. you know they would be doing anything in Harlem world and then it, next you know a couple of days later we would get the, the tapes and it would right. come all the way up down to Brooklyn so where we can hear you know the Cold Crush Brothers and, and like I said Busy B and so on and so forth battle against each other and that was the Force MCs Force before MCs. they became the Force MDs yes, 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 yes. And you know what I mean and hearing those type of acts and on cassette and that was like the first win that I got of just hearing about you know this whole thing that we call hip hop and then just listening to the radio WH. B-I, WHBI and listening to Super Rock and Mr. Magic and listening to uh, Jerry Blood Jerry yes. Bloodrock, the Supreme Team, Africa Islam, and the Zulu Beats. Um, you know, and then even uh, with commercial radio at WBLS, Frankie Crocker. Like Frankie Crocker for me, that was like a main influence to hear Frankie Crocker. And then when he would sign off, he would play that "There I Go, There I Go, There I Go." And you knew that was your time to get your ass upstairs. And then your mom was calling you outside for you to come upstairs. So all of those, you know, all of those influences, all of those radio personalities early on, just like really made me like understand what this next wave was going right. to be. It's funny we had on Prince Paul last week. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, number one, how big radio was back then because mm-hmm. it was so eclectic. And he also about, talked about somebody that also influenced you, man, the legendary DJ Flowers, man. Grandmaster Flowers. Grandmaster Flowers. From Brooklyn, yeah. yeah. Grandmaster Flowers was a... Uh, Is he still around? No, he passed away. He passed away. Yeah, damn. Grandmaster Flowers passed away. Like, you know, one of the... I got a lot of... Inf- a couple of influences, but my biggest um, influence... Two of them. Two my two biggest influences of DJs that I saw that I was like I this is what I want to do right. was Grand Mixer DST, DST before we became DXT. Right. Um. When I seen him DJ in the movie Wild Style, mm. 
And, you know, he was cutting up good times at the end of the credits. The credits was rolling up and he was cutting up good times. That was it for me. You were fixed. And then transfixed uh, on him. Right, absolutely. And then um, from a Brooklyn perspective, when I saw DJ Lance, who back then was known as DJ Master D. Right. When I seen him, and he used to come to my projects, to Lafayette Garden Projects in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, and he used to DJ just from being behind the ropes and watching him DJ. You know, cats like him. There was another DJ from Brooklyn called Frankie D., all of these type of dudes, DJ Lizard, which is a DJ from my actual from my projects, right. just seeing these type of guys on top of Grand Mixer T at DST, and of course Grandmaster Flash, all of those type of guys were influences for me as a DJ. And you had no clue at the time though that DJ would take you out the hood, right? Nah, I had no I had no clue. I mean it was something that that I loved doing and then, you know, I started, you know, slowly but surely getting into it and buying records and stealing money from my grandfather stealing to buy grand, records. Yeah, stealing grand like you built your record collection off your grandma. Yeah, my whole eighties, my old eighties, eighties hip hop collection. At least, at least ninety percent of it is from stealing money from my grandfather um, when he was asleep. My grandfather used to repossess cars for a living, so he worked at night. So I would dip into his bedroom, and he would always have the pants on the right side with the bulge, and the wallet was right there. And he carried cash. And and I would just dip fifty dollars here, a hundred dollars here, a hundred and fifty dollars here. That's a lot. And I would, you know, so Grandpa's was rich. He made a lot of money right, off of repossessing right, right, cars. Right, that's crazy. He made a lot of money. Hey, internets, we got a real musician-friendly sponsor today, and that is TuneCore. TuneCore is a music distribution company that's been in the business for over ten years and has helped over two hundred and fifty thousand artists sell their music worldwide. If you're an independent musician and you want to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music any digital store you need a great music distributor that's where TuneCore comes in TuneCore will help you get your music into more than 150 digital music stores so your music can get discovered and sold all over the world rappers like chance the rapper and rockers like angels and airwaves use TuneCore. artists of all musical genres prefer TuneCore. why because when you distribute your music through TuneCore, you keep 100% of your sales revenue and 100% of your music rights. That's publishing, that's songwriting, that's all of that. You keep complete creative control over your music. Create a free internet, I said free, TuneCore account at combat.tunecore.com today and save 20% on single or album distribution. Now it's your time. To get your music heard. That's TuneCore. Tell them Combat sent you. And now back to the show. Now, now over the years, man, um, did your grandfather get to see Oh, absolutely. Where you where you would end up. Absolutely. Man. I mean, he after he whooped my ass for catching me. Right. And then later on, you know, then the whole situation with Kane, with me and Kane getting together and how successful that became. Yes, he got to see it. You know, he just he passed away two thousand six, but he got to see oh, that's dope, the man. whole fulfillment of what, dope, what, what 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 me and Kane was able to accomplish. That's dope. So he really felt like he was part of it. Right. You know, and um, you know, uh the crazy thing about my grandfather was like he would never show any excitement to me that he was proud of me but he would go outside and sit on the bench with some of the other old homies and be like that's my grandson that's my oldest grandson he was just always that's my oldest grandson so i i, I know i i know i made him proud that's dope man that's that's dope i know i made him proud. now everybody had a crew like mm-hmm. the crew on my, on my place on lincoln place between albany and troy my crew was the kings of the turntable 
you had a crew, crew called the Magnum Force. Right. And you were Master C. I was DJ, originally DJ Master C. DJ right. Master C. And then uh, I ordered some, um, I ordered some um, stationary supplies from my aunt. She was graduating from high school. And back then you had to like sell something to get your senior dues up. Right. So she was selling stationary supplies like pens and pads or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm a, you know, I want to buy some pens and pads and put DJ Master C. The shit came back DJ Mr. C. Right. Uh, but at that time, everybody was a grandmaster something anyway. Right. So I was like, the only thing that was a mister was Mr. T from the A-Team. Right. So I was like, well, I'm going to roll with you just, it. You wasn't disappointed at I first? I wasn't disappointed. Wow. When I saw the Mr. At first I was, and then when I saw Mr. C, and I'm like, no DJ has that name. I'm like, or a mister in front of it. I'm like, I'm going with Yo, that. That's amazing that you could take... Something that ninety nine percent of motherfuckers would be disappointed, and you just like and then they flipped it around. That's that's crazy, man. That's absolutely that's crazy. So now you're Mister C. Mm -hmm. You got the Magnum Force. You got your DJs. You're at, at, at Sarah J. Hill, right? High school. Yep. Tell us a... about the first time you meet uh, uh, MC Kane. MC Kane. The first time I the first time I seen MC Kane um, was um, in the lunchroom, right? And um, he had on like a white leather jacket. He looked like Curtis Blow. Mm. He had on like Which a white... Which was a person to look like. Right, right, right. Blow. Absolutely. He had on like a white leather jacket. And um, he was like battling somebody in the, in the, um, in the lunchroom. And the nigga just pulled out an ELI mic. And for all you old school heads that know about ELI, ELI used to make these mics back in the 80s with different colors, blue, red, white. He pulled out, I think it was a blue ELI mic and was fucking battling the dude with the mic. Not even plugged in? Not plugged in. We were just in the lunchroom. Yo, so he was a little odd. And I was like, yo, but he was killing this dude. He, was, right. he smoked this now, dude. Now, the rumor is, my my boy uh, Guy Rute mm -hmm. tells me, when you first met Kane, he was battling a crew of niggas. Was it one nigga or a crew of guys? You know what? I, 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 honestly, I think it was a crew of dudes. Right. Because when I... When, when I when I met him to basically say I want you to get down with my crew, he was around a big lunch table, right? And he was battling. Yeah, it was a bunch of dudes. It was like a bunch of dudes sitting next to him, and he was battling them. And you know, back then that's when everybody was banging on the table, right, 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 making right. a beat, right, right. And he was like, "I got braids in my head just like Stevie Wonder." And once he said that, you I was knew. like, "Money, you knew." I need, I, you know what I mean? So then after the lunch period, I was like, "Yo, I need you to get you down knew with my you crew." He had to be down with the crew, right? But what's crazy is. Like I said, everybody had a crew. It was more of a recreational thing. You wanted them to be part of the crew just to be part of the crew, not to make records or anything nah, like that. Nah, it was just about being part of the crew just right. to be a part of the crew. Right. Because we was doing a lot of local shows around in bed okay. and bed at the time, and we just wanted him to be a part of it. And he was reluctant at first. Right. Nah, nah, man, you know I rap solo, you know. He was really <laughs> solo. Right, because he was MC Kane. Right. And he's like, um, you know. I was like, yo, come around my way. Just hear how I DJ. And then you make the decision. He came around the way a couple, like a week or so later. He heard me DJ, and that was it. You I became his DJ. I had him hooked. When did it go from MC Kane to Big Daddy Kane? In high school. high school. In high school. Like in, I, in high school, when we went to Sarah J. Hale High School in Brooklyn, that's when it transformed from MC Kane to Big Daddy Kane. And but that's a, that's, a, that's a very unique name. What, Big Daddy Kane? Big Daddy Kane. What was that conversation like? It was no conversation. Right. It he, was just a transformation. It was never, in, he, there was never really a conversation. Right. But you know, Kane, <laughs> the reason that Kane called himself MC Kane into Big Daddy Kane is because he loved walking canes. Right. He was fascinated with walking canes. He was an old soul back then. Right. Huh? He loved walking canes. So when I first went to his house 
in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, I went into his bedroom and there was all different types of canes dangling from the ceiling. And you had to weave through the canes <laughs> to get through the room. Canes. And he had all different types of canes. So that's where he got the name from, him loving canes and from... For all you old school heads out there, if you remember a show called Kung Fu, Kung Fu. that came Quite on Chain in the Kane. 70s, Grasshopper Kane. Quite Chain Kane. Kane. And so that's what, between that and him loving Kane, that's what he amazing, got the name Amazing, amazing. Now, as you guys are honing your skills and you guys are doing shows, man, another legendary cat kind of comes in the mix and influences y'all, and that's the legendary Biz Marquis. Right. You know, when, when we was in high school, Biz <clears throat> used to hang out at our high school. Right. Biz used to hang out in everybody's Everywhere. high school. You know, there's a line that Biz says in one of his famous records, wherever I lay my hat is my home. And that was really true with Biz. He was everywhere. Cats from back in the day used to be like, yo. Uh, Jersey, in, in Long Bro- Island. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tech. Like, yo, he was over at Harlem. Brooklyn Tech. He was over at Boy. What's his deal, man? That's, that, that was the way Biz rolled. Right. It was just, I mean, there's nothing else to explain from it. And once again, Prince Paul was like, he'd be in, in, in like, we didn't travel back then. Right. Like, right, did you? Were you no, free no, to we travel out of Brooklyn? We were not. The most you would go was either Empire Boulevard exactly. or, or downtown Brooklyn. Exactly. That was it. That was it. But Biz was all over the place. That's crazy. And we met him at, at our school at Sarah J. O. Right. High School, Hurricane Rap. And he just took a liking to Kane and started bringing Kane to shows. Right. And where, wherever Biz was doing shows, he would bring Kane to shows. And they had this little routine that they used to do together. Um, uh called learn uh, what was the what was the name of the routine i can't remember it but it was like it was something similar to slick rick and dougie fresh right. treated like a prostitute right 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 biz was beatboxing kane was rapping and um and they would do like these little routines together and um and they was killing the city they would and this is before kane had a record out they were just killing the city together now we had kane on the show before mm-hmm. and he he talks about how instrumental biz was in refining his style like biz was like yo kane we know you could kill MCs, but nobody wants to hear you talk all that rough talk. You got to pull the ladies and you got to finesse it so that it's funny, it's mm-hmm. entertaining, and it's not just raw. Mm-hmm. Did you see his style changing? With, I saw that. With, I saw I saw Once we started recording the Long, Long Live the Kane debut album, right. I started seeing the change in how Kane was uh, uh, being a little bit different in, it, in his rhyme pattern, his rhyme style, and so on and so forth because... He was raw and edgy, edgy like a right. song like R.A.W. and, you know, Just Rhyme With Biz. But then, you know. Like the image that I see right now of a young Kane is probably like a contemporary Meek Mill who was just attacked a mic. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good analogy of it. That, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a good analogy. And then, but then he, you know, you know, he started making more records that, that kind of catered more to women or just was, uh, the delivery was still strong, but it wasn't as hard, right. but it still was effective. Right. You feel what I'm saying? So, because <clears throat> even like Ain't No Half Stepping, you know, he's not rhyming as hard on Ain't No Half Stepping as he is on Raw. Right. You know, I oh, get Raw. raw. Yeah. raw. It was just like, you know what I mean? Ain't No Half Stepping is still kind of like, that was like the prelude to Smooth Operator right. to me. Right. Because it was kind of like that smooth, laid back style or whatever the case is that he kind of started to develop in the process of recording Long Live the King. But as his DJ, were you open to that or were you like, nah, Kane, we got to stay? I we was Magnum open. Force, nah, my you dude. Know what? You know what? It was, I was open to anything because it was just like, everything was just clicking. It was right. like, there was, there was really, everything, there was no, we never really had discussions on, on um, we never really had discussions on him changing his rap style or how we was gonna approach this record or how we was gonna approach that record. It was really basically 
You're going to do the rhymes. I'm going to cut up this part, this this old classic record in right. the hook. Right. And that's how we're going to do it. So it really wasn't it really wasn't that type of a thing where we we huddled up and we was like, okay, this is how we're going to make it. It was just record. organic. It was just organic. It was just very organic. Right. Super organic. That's crazy. I mean, I remember doing cuts on Marley Marl floor in his house in Queensbridge, like just on the floor. Up. Right. Yeah, like cutting up Wrath of Kane on the floor. Like them them, them cuts on Wrath of Kane. Yeah. I I did that on the floor. That's crazy. On my knees on the floor. That's crazy. So you guys are getting good enough now that you guys start getting recognized. Right. And you start actually opening up for like real cats. Mm-hmm. Y'all are opening up for Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Right. Y'all are opening up for Eric B and Rakim. Mm-hmm. Y'all are opening up for real groups, man. How's that feeling now? I mean, you know, it was um the crazy thing about it was that during that whole process, we never got gas, we never got like hyped up or, you know, or you know, uh, you know, we we even though we knew what we knew what was happening, we still kind of maintained an even keel that you know, we're still not there yet. Right. We're still not where we really, really want to be yet. Right. So, um, which is crazy because normally any little whiff of type of fame normally and you're young, you're going to get super oh, hyped. We, we on right now. But we never really got like right, that. Right, we right. just was like, nah, you know, we need to we have, we need to have our own tour. Right. We need to, you know, we need to be closing out a, a show right. or whatever the case is. And so those were the type of talks. It wasn't really like we made it. Right. We, but, but talk about these two figures that, that you opened up acts for. At the time, this is 86. Right. And we, we didn't even have a record out yet when we was opening up for them. Rakim is really, he, he emerges as the pinnacle of emceeing. He's right. the god of emceeing, literally the mm-hmm. god of emceeing. On the other spectrum, you have the best DJ on the planet at that time, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Right. And, and Will Smith, Fresh Prince, is amazingly talented. Like, mm-hmm. you're opening up for cats like that. What's... Are well, you picking but, up like taking notes? Nah, we wasn't because we 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 had our we had our way of us doing a show. Right. We you know the one thing about me and Kane when we do shows in Scuba and Scrap, we never rehearsed. Mm. Wow. Never? never did rehearsals. Never, never. But the shit was so choreographed. Never did rehearsals. We just ten to fifteen minutes before we got on stage. All right, we're gonna do raw. After I say I get raw after the first chorus, we're gonna go in to set it off. Then we're gonna do. Never did rehearsals. We would just go over the the, the game plan in the dressing room of which songs we're gonna do, and um, Kane and Scoomer Scrap would kind of practice a little bit in the dressing room their little routine. But we never did rehearsals. Right. Never went to a rehearsal studio and did it. Right. Absolutely right, right. not. When did Scoop and Scrap come along? Scoop and Scrap. <clears throat> right away. Right away. Right away. Right away. Scoop and Scrap was there from the jump. Like as soon as <clears throat> Scoop came first, then Scrap. Um, right away. It, you know, once we you know came with the just rhyme with Biz record. Right. You know, uh, we we you know Kane took a liking to Scoop because Scoop was heavy, and I think it was like during down with the I, IOU dances. Yes. And they used to dance heavily at Latin Quarter and so on and so forth. And Kane took a liking to him, and he was from Brooklyn. And then um, we we brung him in, and then um, later then later on, Scoop was like, I got my dude. Scrap. Scrap. And they were brilliant, like all together. They lived right up the block from each other, Scoop and Scrap. All together, you, <coughs> Kane, Scoop and Scrap is an amazing posse. Right, and like, can you believe that we never rehearsed? Visually, it's right. an amazing posse, because they look like little Canes. Right. And then you, you know what I'm saying, you, right. you kind of like pulling this, not that you pulled a group together, but you was the magnet. That that in a sense pulled the group <clears throat> yeah because I mean I had to make sure that everything was on point with the music right. like like if 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 you know um, if Kane was doing set it off you know and 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 he like uh, the teacher is teaching so just shut up whatever that next record I had to throw on right. it had to be on point on, point, on, on the point, one on point now he was a madman he was <clears throat> a madman he 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 
was channeling James Brown. Oh, absolutely. And, and if somebody did something, he would find y'all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, yeah. If we if we messed up on stage and stuff like, we'd get a fifty dollar fine. Fifty dollar fine. We get fined fifty dollars. Were you like what? Yo, you were you like Kane? Chill the fuck out. Nah, we was we was like, he's the boss. See, how do you go from pulling him into your orbit to him being the boss? Like you and him are close. Do you ever pull him to the side, be my nigga? You know that's a great question. Yeah. Nah. Because <laughs> it, you know, it was you, never. It was never. It was never like that. I mean, you know, even though, even though, as things progressed and we became more successful, and he was the, we looked at him as the leader. Yes. Um, it never. I never looked at it as oh, you know. I did. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't get on up. It right. wasn't James Brown and, and and what's what's homie named that's down with James Brown. Um. Oh, uh, Fred. Uh, Fred. Uh, yeah, uh, Fred. It wasn't. It, Fred it wasn't that type of thing. Right, right. You know what I mean? It wasn't Bobby Bird. Bobby Bird. Yes. It wasn't James Brown and Bobby Bird where now he's sonning me or whatever right, right, the case right. was. Everybody got treated equally, so it wasn't like only C got fined or only Scoob and Scrap got. Oh, everybody, if you fucked up, you got fined. Did you ever? Did Kane ever get fined? Like get Kane, you? Fucked oh yeah, up? yeah. Kane got fined. Kane, Kane fined himself. For Kane. <laughs> Absolutely, he, he find we we got find himself. That's amazing. So it was it was it was it was really just to keep discipline right while we was on the road. That's amazing foresight, man. Um, first demo that you you guys recorded was just rhyming with the biz. Just rhyming with biz, right? With that was our biz, first demo, which was an amazing record. Right, like, I love that record. Shout out to DJ Shimshon. He was he originally helped us produce that record, and that record was on going off, right? That was no. That was on Long uh, Long of the King. It was Long of the King. Just rhyming with Biz, but we did. We actually did a song called Something Funky, right? Which was on the same twelve inch. Right. We did Something Funky first, which was uh, pre-produced with with DJ Shimshon, and then that later became Just Rhyming with Biz. You got to take me back, man, because this is my era, and and I really love these records. The few times that Kane and Biz rapped on a record was magic. Like when when they're recording that demo, man, what's 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 the dynamic, man? Well, I mean, it was just honestly, shit, it's like it's not even like Batman and Robin. It's like Batman and Wolverine. Like you know what I'm saying? It's like, but you know, it, it's, it's the same thing. Like like I said about us not rehearsing, right? Even during the recording process, everything was just a natural thing. It's like so when you hear in biz. Party people having a ball. <laughs> hey, it's that's just that Fuck. nobody knew what he was gonna say. Fuck, it's just that's what came out of his mouth. He was just being natural. So you, know, you feel what I'm saying? So, you know, I say yes, yes, y'all to the beat, y'all. Like that Party was just people. Right, no. that 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 was just biz being biz. So wow. it was just that organic and that natural. Hey, but Kane definitely stayed prepared. Oh, well, you know, Kane going to stay the course. Because he's be like, lyrical. I don't know what that brother Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, Kane wrote songs for Biz. You yes. know what I mean? Like, uh, Nobody Beats the Biz and so on <laughs> later on. But Just Rhyming with Biz was like off the ooh, cusp. It was just, just go. Marley was, Marley Marl was just like, just go. How did, the, like, did, did Biz got signed first? Biz, yes. And then how did y'all meet Molly Mall and how did the whole prison? Well, once we got signed, once we got signed and that's when we, you know, started working with Marley. How'd y'all get signed? Through Biz. Through Biz. Like Biz, you know, once, once we was, once Kane was doing shows with Biz, then Fly Ty, Tyrone Williams, Mm -hmm. who was the owner of Cold Chilling Records, um, started to take notice of Kane, you know, killing these shows with Biz. He was a little hesitant at time, at, at first. Fly tie, because at that time MC Shan was the dude on Cold Chilling. Was 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 the Juice Crew formed yet, or was it no, still in formation? No, it okay. was still in formation right. or whatever. And, and, and Shan, Shan was the alpha dog at the time, right? And the, Shan was the guy, right? 
So, you know, Flytow was a little hesitant. Right. It took a minute, but and Biz just kept pushing it into Flytow. Yo, you got to sign. You got to get what you got. And he finally came around and signed us. Um, But how was what's the first time you met Marley, man? Because Marley arguably is one of the greatest producers probably, of all time. Probably one. Of, yeah, absolutely. Probably right. the greatest hip-hop producer ever. The first producer to sample first, James Brown. First, first, first hip-hop producer ever to sample James crazy. Brown. Crazy. Um and the Marley the Marley sound which yeah is, like which you know the, so the 808s the yes. shakers the if you hear them old cold chilling records and you hear that that's Marley right um you know first met Marley um Astoria Queens um at at his apartment when we first started recording um you know Raw I think Raw was the first time I met him right when I had to do the scratches for Raw and um. It wasn't like a thing where it wasn't like a thing where I was intimidated because right. it was Marley Mall and he was on the radio with Magic. Right, right. You know, it, it it's like back then it was just like you you meet certain people and you want to get to their level, but you I can't front you. I wasn't really in awe of right. like I'm I'm meeting Marley Mall. Right. And you, know? you didn't know at the time also that y'all were really standing on that crack that would be like history. Right. Absolutely. You're just recording, you're just making records, and you you know you want to be successful, but you really don't know what it really is going to turn out to right, be. Right, right, So, you know, but then being in the studio with Marley, if Kane brought a sample to Marley and Marley would, 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 would arrange it, then we would see the development of how... He would if transform Kane, the if, ideas. If Kane brung the... Kane, like, if Kane... When Kane brought the raw... Dan, 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 Mama Feel Good by Lynn Collins, bringing that little piece and for Marley to organize it in a sense of putting it in the, in the, in the you know in the record in a certain way, that made everything kind of just you know jump gumbo together. Yo, what's amazing? I'm getting chills now because we had the bomb. We had we had Chuck D and and and, and Keith Shockley on, mm-hmm. and they said. They thought they were doing their thing until they heard Raw. And when they heard Raw, they were like, yo, we got to go back in the lab <laughs> and transform everything because that nigga Molly Mall is doing something over there. So it's crazy when you start putting the pieces together that y'all, like you and Kane, found this record right. that, that, that Molly made into a hit right. that transformed Public Enemy that transformed right, Dr. Dre. Right, like, right, that shit right, is right, crazy. Right, right, right. Absolutely. That's crazy, Absolutely, because it was, it was just like a thing where, um, the oh way I looked at God. it in hindsight, the way I looked at it in hindsight, it was just a thing where when Raw came out, it was just a totally different sound. You know, it just was Because like, that was before the Public Enemy sound. Right, right, it, before, right, right. It was like, it was just totally noisy and, you know, no, it was, it, there was nothing out that sounded nothing, nothing like Raw nothing. at that time I remember when the it came first out. time I heard that shit. And it was just like from there, then you know PE, and then everybody else started coming with the, with the noisy sound and shit. And we and crazy, we we me and Kane, we didn't look at it as they was biting or nothing right. like that because the Kane records was noisy and fast, right? You know, one hundred and nineteen beats per minute and so on. <coughs> PE shit was noisy with with a little bit of a slow tempo, like yes. Public Enemy, um, Public Enemy it, number it one. It made you think it was fast, right? But it was really more slower than what we were doing. Right. So, uh, you know, we never really looked at it as PE took our shit or whatever the case is, because their shit was totally different from what we was but doing. But the influence is just so crazy. Absolutely. Man. The influence is so Absolutely. crazy. Absolutely. But Kane was just heavily influenced, like like you said earlier, James Brown and, and Barry White, um, uh, you know, Al Green, like all of those type of artists from the 
sixties and seventies, Kane, you know, loved those type of dudes. Let me ask you ask you if you shared a sentiment, man. Kane was like looking back then, you know, he was just so eager get eager to get on and 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 and, and Molly was the magician that back then he really didn't know that he was part of the production process. Right. Do you feel the same way, man, yeah. that you guys were contributing a lot and you did, because you didn't know, because you just doing everything to get on, you weren't getting your production or your publishing or whatever? Right. I mean, you know, and Marley, you know, when we signed the deal, we signed the deal with the fact that Marley was the in-house right. producer for Cold Chillin'. But the recording process, if, if Kane would um turn in beats and Kane would always turn in the beats to Marley and Marley would structure it. You're not really at that time, you're young, you're not really thinking about the fact that I should get co producer right. credit or, or I should get uh you know uh, oh, mixing right. credit or right. full production right. credit right. or whatever right. the case is. But I will say that Marley you know, Marley arranging those records still made what those records is. You right. still have to give the credit Them to Marley. The records Marley. wouldn't be anything. You know, so we don't know if if we would have did it ourselves, we don't know if it would have came out the same way. It wouldn't have come out the same way. You know what I mean? So, would, you know what it wouldn't have come out the same way. I mean, know, no, but no let's disrespect. Not get it, hold up, but let's not get it fucked okay. up. Okay. You know, later on when Kane <laughs> produced Smooth Operator and yes. Warm It Up Kane. Yes, yes, yes. You know, so those was fire records too. Yo, I got to Or Young Gifted in Black. Yes. You know what I mean? That Kane did himself. So, you know. Uh, you Is know, Dr. Kane in the building? <laughs> yeah. So, it, 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 it kind of balances out at right. the end of the day. Yeah. But, you know, it, Marley structuring them records, you know, it it couldn't have, it couldn't have been no better than him doing it. First record comes out, Long Live the King. First album come out, Long first Live album the King, comes right? out, um, and it's it's a it's a hit, smash. Everybody's buying. Everybody's. I'm, I was down in D.C. at the time, and everybody's buying it. I came back to Brooklyn for the summer. Everybody's got it. Like, how does that change your life? Everything, man. I was um, I was working at Airborne Express. I was a bike messenger. Ah, <laughs> you know where. where? Uh, for Airborne Express here in, this, in Manhattan. In Manhattan, right. And um, You were a bike messenger in the city? Yeah, I was a bike messenger in the city. But, you know, I wasn't Mr. C, Mr. C yet. Right. So, no, the first you know, time well, I met, I, I, first time I met Red Alert, I was listening to him on the radio. And then my, 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 my friend in college, her brother worked with him in the mailroom. So I remember being so mind-boggled, like, yo, how are you Red Alert? <laughs> and you working in the mailroom. It's like, yo, you had, to, you had to do it, man. So I was I was a bike messenger, you know, riding a bike with the big-ass silver can in the front delivering right. packages. And I was still trying to hold on to that job, even though the situation with me and Kane was And you're hearing your record in the street. And I'm hearing Raw, Just Rhyming With Biz, Get Into It in, in the street. And then once Long the Decane came out, and we was getting ready to start traveling. Right. I went to my boss at Airborne Express. I was like, yo, I need a leave of absence because, right. you know, this this other situation is happening. We're going to go on tour. And, great. and he was like, yo, you got to make a choice. It's oh, either shit. here, it's either you're going to stay here or you're going to do this music thing. He was that's not believing. And I was like, I'll see you later. Right. And that's the last time. Best I, decision you ever that's made. The la- yeah, that's the last time I had a quote unquote real job. You know, classic hip hop records back then used to be bogged down with the obligatory DJ record. Like everybody had to have their DJ right. have a record, mm-hmm. um, but I remember specifically because of what was going on in the city, how I love Mr. C's master plan. Mm-hmm. Appreciate because it. you had so many different layers mm-hmm. of records that was influencing the city at the time. You had the the hook was the oh 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 oh, <laughs> right, which right, was the which was the crazy club jam. Right. You had the you had the the, the uh. Shout! Right, you had right, the shout right, right, influence right. in there. Right, you had to move your body. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not bullshitting you because you're here. That's one of my favorite 
DJ oriented records. No, no offense to Jam Master Jay on the first right. Run DMC I, album. We, we, we talked about this off mic. No offense. And to I was like, yo, Jam Master Jay by Run DMC, that's not a great record. Or A Touch of Jazz by Jazzy Jeff and the Frenchman is not a great record. Right. But I, I appreciate it, man. Now, it was a great record because it had layers and it spoke to me where I was at the time. Right, right. And I mean, you know, uh, you know, back then, I can't even front because, you know, people, so many people, you know, give me compliments of the way I DJ now and, and, and my way of thinking of how I DJ now. And I get so many compliments now. Right. But back then, I was even more of an animal. Right. As far as. As a DJ? As a DJ and as a person that, you know, when it was coming down to making records and st- structuring and doing scratches and stuff like that, I was a, I was, the, I can't, I was a mastermind when it came down to that as far as putting the right record, you know, to scratch on, you know, on the right, right. I mean, I remember Premier coming to me one time years ago and saying that I was an influence on him That's crazy. on how he made Gangstar records and he was doing scratches for Gangstar That's records. Crazy. So I was a, a mastermind at Dude. knowing what type of records to cut up in certain songs or whatever the case is. So I appreciate the compliment. But at the same time, you also felt that you wasn't the best like cutter or scratcher or transformer. No, absolutely not. Right. And I, not at that time. I mean, I was, you know, uh, you know, you know, Jazzy Jeff, you know, was the top of the top of the top of the top, top at that time. Of the top. My, you know, my. If you listen to any early Kane records, my transforming is really nasty, meaning bad nasty, right. compared to what Jazzy Jeff was doing. And when Jazzy Jeff created that transformer scratch, anybody and everybody that was a DJ at that time would try to emulate it. And I, I don't. The best job I did in the transformer scratch was on the Wrath of Kane at the with the yeah, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever the case is, but. Jazzy Jeff at that time, he was the top of the top. Nobody was fucking with him. Right. When does Kane start being a threat to other MCs, man? Because now y'all, y'all, it's I one, think when Long Live the Kane came out, that's when everybody was like, <laughs> you know, like everybody was like, yo, this dude right here is that guy. Yo. You know, so it was, it was really from the first album, every, you know, whether it was other rappers or just the industry as a whole, you know, when that first album dropped, that's when everybody looked at Kane as the new sheriff. Right. You know what I mean? You know, it's funny because when I think back, man, I think as a fan and as somebody that had nothing to do with the industry at the time, I was trained mentally, psychology, you know, psychologically. I was trained that the 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 God MC was Rakim, mm-hmm. and no matter what you did on the mic, you could not fuck with Rakim. Right. So I remember that when y'all came out with the second album, it's when, a big daddy when, thing. When when Warm It Up came first dropped and I remember listening to it on WBLS and it's the first time I heard them play a rap record over and over and over and it was a hot summer and I just remember laying in my bed warm it up Kane warm it up Kane who's flat top rules of 89 and then I got the light bulb I was like yo this nigga might could take <laughs> Rakim B wow like that that's like when you like when probably when Galileo was like nah niggas the world is round like you know what I'm saying <laughs> It was one of those like, oh shit! Like, but in the camp, like, it had to be tense because even though niggas was cool with each other back then, Nick, you know, niggas it's had always, egos. It was always LL, LL. It's always Rock competitive. Him. It's always slick Rick. You right. know, um, it's always competitive. You know, um, you know, the Big Daddy Kane and the Rock Kim click, the crew. Intertwined with each other. Our road manager was Eric B. Brother. Aunt Live, Aunt Live. who was Eric B. Brother. He right. was our road manager. Right. So, um, 
you know, sometimes we'd be on the road. Yo, I heard Ra said this. And I'm sure Ra. Would y'all get riled up? Nah, not really. Kane always kept this cool. Right. Kane always kept Even if Kane was mad. Right. About what he heard that supposedly Rakim said, he never showed it. Right. So, um, and that was the brilliance of Kane. He, it, you know, if he was upset, he probably did it. He probably showed it when he was to himself. He was so cool, mad, just mad just, cool. Just, I had a quick question, combat. As as you as a fan back then, did you? See, there was no social media. There wasn't you know the outlets that we have now. Did you guys see it coming? Like the buzz, the buzz factor of Big Daddy Kane in terms of like the what was what was the street. Uh, buzz like the street man let me tell you saying? as a fan like, how did it how did it generate to as a fan long live the cane he could have just done that and stopped but what and was... you got to listen and as a brooklyn cat you know he was representing brooklyn right but when warm it up came when it warm it up cane came out and he was like all you niggas it was like almost like kendrick's control he was like yo my flat top Rules in '89, nigga. That <laughs> shit was like, yo, we get, we we ready to go to war, Kane. And, and as big as Long Live the Kane wow. was, right? It's a Big Daddy thing. Was a to me was a better album than Long Live the Kane, which is crazy because that was a bigger record. That was right. a Teddy Riley, right? You know, record. we had to, I get the job done. Teddy, right. we had Smooth Operator, we had Warm It Up, Kane. Right. Um, you know, we, I mean, that record took us globally, like just everywhere. Just you know, I mean, Long Live the Kane did too, but I mean, from uh. Arsenio Hall and right. all of those type of big TV shows. Ma- that Madonna, was the Sex American Music whole, Awards at the time. You're so. you're going places like you were like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. So it's a Big Daddy Kane took it. Arsenio further. Hall, how was that? That shit was crazy. Arsenio, I just posted up some on Instagram I think last week when we was on Soul Train. You know, and, and how did, old are you at the time? I'm like like twenties, uh, like mid twenties. Oh my god, mid twenties. So, we, was on, we was on Soul Train like three times. Yo, so going back, man, how did the Rakim Kane thing never happen? It was supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen. They were supposed to did uh, this thing with um this thing uh, Rap Mania. Right. It's been a Rap Mania battle. Right. At the Apollo Theater, and um, I think that the, the purse was for ten thousand dollars, but it just never happened. Right. It just never happened. And the thing was, was that like I said, it was always a thing where. Somebody would come up to Kane or our crew and say, I heard Rakim said. And somebody would come to Rakim and said, I heard Kane said. But then when Kane and Rakim get together, it was all peace. It was, it was, it was, there was right. no. So then it was like, well, why, what is it going to be a battle for if when the two right. main people that's involved get together, right. it's all love? There was no issue, right? There was really there was really no issue. What happened with LL? Because LL, LL's ego was big, B. Well, LL, you know, LL, you know, LL did this little skit. I forget what album it was. Well, I don't know if it was Walking with a Panther, but he did a little skit where he ran through the alphabet, the A, the B, the C, the D, the E, the F, the G, the, the and then when he got the Z, he was like, that's bullshit to me. So we, I know, I'm speaking for myself. I ain't going to speak for Kane. I'm right. speaking for myself. Uh, I definitely took it like he was getting at Kane. But then <coughs> Kane and L had discussions. Right. L was like, nah, it's not getting at you. It's, you know what I mean? Or whatever the case is. And that was, that was history. I got my first gig in 89. At Def Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and Def Jam was coming off the hype of the great adventures of Slick Rick. Right. And I remember Cats, Lindsay Williams, who used to be road Shout manager. Lindsay. Lindsay. The rush, he was the rush like road manager. He used to be like, yo, whatever you do, don't mention Kane around Slick Rick. Mm-hmm. What did he mean? I mean, I, you know, Kane, Kane and Slick Rick used to be super, super tight. Right. And they're they're good friends now, but they was super super tight. If you remember, Kane was in 
the um, Teenage Love Teenage video. Love, right. Because uh, Slick Rick was, a, he was like one of the first Brooklyn, I'm not, he was, is he not from, he's no, from Slick Rick's from the Bronx. The Bronx. Kane he was, was the, the first rap Brooklyn superstar. He was one of the new, your first New York cats to go platinum. Slick Rick went platinum. Great Adventures of Slick Rick, I remember going platinum. Like he was a super. Yeah, I mean, but Kane, we, we, we fucking did our numbers too. Of right? we, no, we, no, we, I'm not we, taking it away okay, from okay, you. Okay, okay, not, okay, but I'm okay. saying Slick kind of was like kind of from the I don't out, know. I don't know the whole history with what happened with Kane. I'm and saying from the outside looking in, it looked like initially Slick was Kane's big brother in the That's industry. what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying this. I don't know. I'm saying when I was reading Word Up magazine, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know, I know that they were super tight, right? And then we went on tour together. Right. Slick Rick Kane, big mistake. I think De La Soul, and then we we would co-headline the tour. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we would close out the shows. Sometimes Rick would close out the show. And I think that was the beginning. Mm. That was the beginning of the end. How do you close time. a show after Kane? Well, Slick Rick did his numbers. He did, Slick he did, Rick, but Slick Rick did his numbers. But you know, Slick at that time, Rick was heavily into. I'm Rick the Ruler. He Crumbs, was heavily into the pieces crown. Pieces of shit. The crown. <laughs> right, right. You peasants. Yo, he peasants. was crazy. He was definitely into his mode. Was he crazy or was that his act? Well, if we was around Rick, he was cool. Right. But then he probably would say something to somebody else about, I don't, I don't want them Here peasants. Here fucking peasants. crown. <laughs> around me. And that's, yo, that that's where I believe brilliant. the friction started right. off. That's right. where I believe the friction started off. Right. And, um... You know, some things happened. That, I heard that, and this right, is what I heard. Right, Lindsay. but I, I, I really don't even want to talk about that. Okay, now, I, I just heard that Kane let them hands fly. Woo. Well, I, you know, it, some things happened. He let them hands fly, and a gun was pulled out. Oh, and some things happened, allegedly. but be, before it can get to that level, right. it got broken up, right. or whatever the case is. So, right. um, and they're cool now. Everything is love. Did they have to? Peace. Did they have to end the tour? No, we kept we kept doing okay. the shows because right, right. we would be on one side of the arena right. and Rick right, and right. them would be on the other side of the arena. We would still do the shows, but you know, after the you know maybe years after the the the, the, the incident, everything got smoothed out and, and they they became cool. Whew. Man, yeah. if only we had Snapchat <laughs> and Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. Yo, you would you have been on your Twitter back then? Like, oh yo, my God. yo, can't just make the Yo, listen, Internets, man. I can, yo. yo, let's go to a quick break. Internets, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. We got the legendary Mr. C. We're about to finish this next half. We got Kells in the building. What's up, Kells? What up, yo? yo? Why you late, Kells? The plane was three hours the late. The plane, the plane, yo. <laughs> let's go to this break. Yo, F your radio, F your TV show, and F your podcast. <laughs> Internets, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is sponsored by Bevel, the superior shaving system designed for people with coarse, curly hair and sensitive skin. Listen. Listen, listen. It's Black History Month. We're talking about Benjamin Banneker. We're talking about Frederick Douglass. We're talking about Ma- Madam C.J. Walker. We're also talking about Tristan Walker. Thanks, Kells. We're talking about amazing, ingenious people that have created things that have contributed greatly to society. Fortunately for us, Tristan Walker is alive and well and vibrant and has a lot to do that's left in his life. He has created this Bevel system, not just for black people, but for everybody. Bevel is not just black history. Bevel is American history. How you shave is not just black history. How you shave is American history. Walking around with them fucked up craters on your neck is not just black travesty. It's an American travesty. Stop all that shit. Go to getbevel.com. Punch in promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T. If you care about our goddamn black history, if you care about American history, if you care about them bumps on your neck and eradicating that scourge off the face of the earth, just like we did polio, 
Go to GetBevel.com, punch in promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, 20% off. Tell them COMBAT sent you. And Tristan Walker, you are the man of the hour. Black History Month, and now back to the show. Internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. We got Mr. C in the Let building. me ask you a question. Yo. Why do you always say internets with an S? You know what? Ever since George Bush said that, that shit like in, 80, <laughs> in 06, it just became the internets. The and internets. that's become a trademark. And, you know, I just, it's very it's comfortable. It's strategy. Yeah. And, and Dallas Penn, who who's one of the founding members of the show, he he made that popular. He made it a hot line. We made it a hot song. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and you know, it's like family. What am, you know, it's like they, they, they like to be addressed as the Got internet. It. So Got it. there you go. Listen, man, you're, you're part of one of Early's, early rap, rap's earliest dynasties with Kane, man. Mm-hmm. And then, like all dynasties, they don't last forever, man. When did you start to see that dynasty um, shifting? Boy, I want to say. Because you never want it to end. No, you don't. You don't. I mean, you know, I think, you know, like once, like, uh, I mean, you know, like when the when Taste of Chocolate came out, mm. um, uh, you know, the records wasn't responding as much. Generation I mean, we, were still, we were still doing what we've supposed to have been doing right. and touring and being on TV, but the, the, the records just wasn't responding as much. Um, so I would say, like, you know, I was I would say Taste of Chocolate was right. like the, the the first inkling of when it started, and then you know uh, Prince of Darkness, and right. then and then it, and it just it kind of went down from there. Um, during that era, man, when Kane starts bringing around a young Jay Z. Uh-huh. Yeah. What are your impressions of Jay Z? I always loved. I always loved Jay Z. I always loved them. Like just we 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 were going tour together, and um, every every radio interview we would do out of town, Kane would put Jay on that microphone, and Jay would spit or whatever the case is. But his whole demeanor <clears throat> when we was on tour, he was just very shy. Right. Very very shy. Um, you know, rarely would talk, rarely would speak. You know, him and Kane would always communicate. Mm. But as far as, like, talking to the rest of us, really didn't speak that much. You know what I mean? I got to know Jay more after we stopped touring together than when we was actually touring together. Right. You know what I mean? Mm. But just always was quiet, and but very observant. Just, like, always right. just looking around, just watching everything. Yo, if Michael Keaton pulled up in the DeLorean <laughs> and said, yo, C, come over here, man, that kid right there. Is about to be the greatest MC in the world. W- w- would you believe that back then? No, I wouldn't have. Crazy, right? But he was nice from the gate. Right. But I wouldn't have. Be- I wouldn't believe he would have been who he is now. Right. Absolutely not. Crazy, right? Did but I. Have- but I. From the gate, I always knew that he was nice. Right. Did he had a charisma or no? No, he was. You know, he was uh, awkward. He was shy. Right. He was. You know, he was a. He was a. He was a shy cat. Like you know, if K- Kane would bring him on, it was like the only time he would get any sort of form of energy is when Kane when Kane bring him on stage. Mm. Okay. So when we would do our shows and Kane would bring him out. Now you got to remember, you bringing this guy out, nobody knows who he is. Nothing. He don't have a record out. Nothing. What did Kane see? The lyrics. The lyrics. Yeah. Just pure lyrics. Yeah. It was just really the lyrics. That's that's what I would say. Cause that's what I saw. When I when I heard Hope, it was the lyrics. But then when he came on that stage and he would rhyme, the crowd went crazy. Mm. And this is off of a... Normally, you bring an unknown person on a uh, 15,000 people arena. Energy drops. Normally, the energy drops or that person's getting booed. Yeah. Right. Who's this? He would, this guy would get on stage. Jay-Z would get on stage with Kane at that time. You know, normally he would kick an acapella or whatever. As soon as I grab it, I get it together like a marriage. Like he would just do that fast rap shit that he was known for at that time. And he would murder it every show. That's crazy. So this is part of the story where 
the MC's DJ would collect his bag and go off into the sunset. That doesn't happen to you, man. Like, like things slow down, and then you meet Christopher Wallace. Right. I met Christopher Wallace, known to the world as Notorious Glorious B.I.G. I met him through his first DJ, 50 Grand, in Best Stop Brooklyn. Me and 50 Grand basically grew up together. Right. And what, I was what on, were you doing at the time? Huh? What were you doing? At I the was time? actually getting ready to go on tour with Kane. Okay. We was going on our Taste of Chocolate tour. Right. And Which was the last tour that you went on? Um, With him. I don't. Might have been. Okay. Might have been. Um, But I went on. I was getting ready to go on tour with Kane. And 50 Grand was like, yo, I want you to hear this guy. You know, uh, this guy, Biggie Smalls. He's from Fulton Street. You got to hear him. I was, and I was like, yo, uh, whatever date I told him I was coming back. If I said, yo, I'll be back September 23rd. You know, when I come back, I'll listen to it. Whatever date I told him I was coming back, that nigga was in front of, 50 grand was in front of my door <laughs> right. that night right. with the demo. Right. And I listened to it, and it just so happened, he was rhyming off of the sample that we used for Ain't No Half Step in mm. Blind Alley. Right. And microphone murderer, mass made him make a B.I.G.'s on the mic, call the undertaker, make an appointment, schedule an interview. Because you know what big big man's about to do? I mean, like, don't go, like, when I heard that, it was like hearing Kane all over again. And you had, had you met, had you met Big? I, I didn't meet him at the time. Okay. I just heard the demo. Right. When you met Big, what, would you, what did when you When I think? met Big, 50 Grand brought him to my house, and I was like, we're going to redo this demo. Right. Because the Source Magazine had this contest called Unsigned Hype, mm-hmm. and I knew Maddie C, right. who was running the contest. I'm like, we're going to redo Peace the demo. Peace out to Maddie C. And um, Big was like, yo, whatever you want to do, man, <laughs> you know, just, you know, you know, we, we know whatever you know. But also, Daddy-O from Stessa Sonic was hollering that Big, too. Right. And so I was like, you still rocking with Daddy-O? And he was like, yo, know man, that. it's just, you know, whoever going to look out first, you <laughs> right. know. So then I got in gear and redid the demo, sent it to Maddie C, and then they featured it in the Source magazine. Now, we take what would become the legend of Biggie for granted now. But you come off this amazing career with Kane, who is arguably one of, of hip-hop's first sex symbols. Mm-hmm. Handsome dude, mm-hmm. charismatic, you know what I'm saying? He's got that menace in the whole nine. And then you see Big, a fat dude. Like, are you are you thinking Black that's an obstacle? I never I never really thought about, when I first met Big, I never thought about the looks. Right. Never thought about his looks. Because the lyrics were so strong. I was just, talk, I was just all about li- the lyrics right. and the, what he was saying. And um, I never really, that never even crossed my mind about how he looked or he had a lazy eye or he was fat or whatever the case is. Or he never would breathe on mind. the records. And- yeah, it was just really just about the lyrics. When right. I first heard him, I was like, yo, this nigga right here is It's phenomenal. But he was... The thing that I also loved about Big in the beginning, and even all the way up until his passing, he was a student of the game. Right. So he was a he was a humongous Big Daddy Kane fan. Loved Kane. Um, and so, but he also loved Scarface, mm-hmm. and also loved Snoop. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And also, which is rare for a Brooklyn cat or a New York cat because our palate wasn't that right. diverse back then. And also loved Grand Poobah. Like he really Ooh. loved like certain dudes right. that you know that was in the industry at that time that was doing a thing. And he was a student of the game. So for you know, which I had never really seen before, before Kane. Right. I never seen that. And uh, Kane was a student of the other game. Kane well, yeah, was a Kane, student of, of Kane, like the Motown and the sixties. Uh, well, you know, yeah, Motown. But as far as hip hop, Kane. Biggest Kane's favorite all time MC is Grandmaster Cash from Cold Crush. Of I can see that. So if you ever if you if you ever get a minute, listen to a Cold Crush record. Cold Crush is Cass is my first super to, MC. Listen to Grandmaster Cash, listen to Kane. Right. And you're gonna hear 
the whole that shit the whole shit reincarnated right. Kane just took cat what Kaz did Kane just took it to a whole nother level as what big took what Kane did to a whole nother level mm -hmm. and so um it was just really all about lyrics when I first heard big it was just you know me saying to myself like yo if I can get this guy in the right situation I think he can be something and people don't can't even fathom right now how important that that cosign from the source unsigned hype was right like him and 50 grand I remember that 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 being in that mm -hmm. In 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 in, a, in, a, in, a, in that section, common too. Common was common. In, Nas, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh, Project Prodigal Prodigal Proets, which was yeah. Mob Deep. <laughs> um, but did the phone start ringing right after that no. issue came? No, no, it didn't. No, I mean, you know, like the phone didn't start ringing until I was shopping my album. I was trying to do a Mr. C album right. but at that time because you deserved it at the time. Right, and and at that time DJs were doing albums. Yes. Terminator X had an album, right. which was a great record. Pete Rock had the Creator, that mm -hmm. song the Creator, that was a big. So I was like, yo, I'm gonna try to do, you know, a DJ album. And I was shopping the demo. It was like a four or five song demo. And they was like, yo, these songs is all right, but who is this guy right here, Biggie Smalls? <laughs> I had a song on the demo called Biggie Got the Hype Shit, and that's all everybody at every label was talking about, from Jive to Def Jam. Everybody was just talking about Big. And so then, it started buzzing. And it started buzzing because I was shopping my album. Right. And they was like, fuck your album. We want to know about Big. Right. About this Biggie Smalls. <laughs> and then and Relativity came with the deal. Well, relati Relativity came at the deal for the uh, Unsigned Hype. Okay. Because, you know, if you got featured in Unsigned Hype, <clears throat> then Relativity was would offer you a deal. But the yeah. deal was so nasty right. that we didn't we didn't take up on it. And then when did Puff start coming around? Man? Puff was one of those people that made them phone call. That was right. one of the people that made the phone call. But he called Maddie C first. And was like, yo, I heard you got this unsigned hype thing going on. Who's the best rapper you got? And he told. So Maddie C put that in there. And, and, and you told, had already knew Puff because you I seen knew Puff, Puff in the you know, clubs. from him being a promoter, doing right. parties. The dancer. And, right, dancing and A&R at Uptown Records. And um, so because he was working for Uptown. This is way before right. Bad Boy. This, this way, is Uptown. He was A&R at Uptown. Right. So you had Big signing a production company. Right. And Puff approaches y'all to sign Uptown. Right. And Andre Harrell, who was running Uptown, wasn't fucking with the production company? Right. He wasn't fucking with me. He didn't, from what Puff told me, Right. he said, we don't do production deals. Okay. You know what I mean? Or whatever the case is. So my thing was, I had a decision to make. Do I hold back? Because really, Puff was given the best offer out of right. all the labels that we was talking to. Wow. So I was like, do I hold big up? Do I hold his career up? Or do I let him go? And I just decided to let him go with the the option of me being the executive producer of the album, right? Which you were, which I was, which, which is which is amazing, yeah, which is amazing, still which is amazing, checks to this which day. is amazing. <laughs> you guys get signed to Puff. Puff gets dropped, right? Puff gets fired, fired. right? He gets from, fired from, from from Uptown, right? Are y'all like, yo, did we fuck up? We just like we we did. We was just in limbo. We didn't know what was going on. We right. didn't know what was going to be what. But Puff was like, yo, I I'm got I got an, another move. Just hang tight. And um, at that time, Big was like. Man, I might as well go back down south and hustle. And right. Big was like, no, don't leave New York, Puff man. Let's, was like, don't, let's right. just hang tight right, or whatever. Right. And just so happened, uh, the guy that owned MCA Records at the time, which was the distributor for Uptown Records, went to Andre Harrell and told him, you got to drop five artists. Hmm. And he dropped Biggie, Little Sean. Um, those are the two I remember off right, the rip. Right, right. It was like five artists from Uptown that he, that he, that he dropped. And so once Big got dropped, then... That was the op that was open the, the open up. lane for Puff right. to try to take him to, to Arista, right? To take it for Arista man, for that's, the bad that's boy a big deal. nugget right there, man. But half of the album, 
half of the Ready to Die album was recorded for Uptown. For Uptown, yo, for Uptown. Talk about because this is an argument I have with a lot of hard-headed Nick Nas, man. <laughs> talk about the influence that Puff had. Yeah, did you believe in Puff on Big? Like the influence that because cats Ooh. think Big would have been able to do it without, without Puff. Puff. No, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Talk absolutely. about the influence. I, I mean, you know, there's do, do Big and Puff works hand in hand. There's no big without Puff. There's no Puff without big. Right. Hands down, end of the story, end of the discussion. Right. It's just like when we talked about with Kane and Marley Mall mm-hmm. and, you know, with our situation. There's no Kane without Marley Mall structuring those records and vice versa. Same thing, man. Like what what the vision that Puff saw in big mm-hmm. as far as cleaning them up, right. making them look dapper, making them make those records that, that kind of appeal to the women. Like we talked about earlier with Kane doing the same thing, made big become who he became. So there's no... Big without Puff and vice versa. You can't take, you can't, there's no way you're going to take, you can't, you can't take away the influence that Puff had mm-hmm. on structuring Big's whole M.O. for him to become, you know, the, the you know, the Versace and right. the Gucci the and, 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 uh, and, uh, Big Papa. What was the sweaters? The, 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 the Coogee sweater. The Coogee sweater. All that, all of that. You can't, you can't, you can't, <laughs> all of that influence, you cannot. Take that away from Puff and and say, can't say that Puff didn't have an influence right, on it. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. You have to give Puff that credit. Gave him that fly shit. Talk Absolutely. about because you were in almost every studio session for for Ready to Die. Talk mm-hmm. about that. Man. I mean, the, the studio sessions. It, you know, it. Um, you know, one thing about the studio sessions that in the on the early side of Ready to Die that I enjoyed was that you know, Big. You can tell that Big was really having fun, right. and you know you can that's when the creative juices was flowing the most Mm -hmm. in the early part of ready to die so like the original version of the song ready to die or the original version of give me the loot those early sessions was like big was just so happy that he was in a situation that he was getting money doing what he loved right or whatever the case is now what big didn't like that he had to learn to like later on Uh-oh. was that we would record something and then Puff would come in yes. at the end and, and want to fucking and tweak and do his own <laughs> yes. shit. Um, but Big beca- be- began to learn to to appreciate that and to understand it later on that, you know, the importance of the touches that Puff was adding to the record was important okay. because, you know, Big wanted to be the Teflon Don and be the hardcore. And Puff was just like, yo, man, you got to smooth it out just mm-hmm. a little bit. I need radio. I need to get, right. we need to get on radio. Biggie's, the, the original name of Ready to Die album was going to be called the Teflon Don. Mm. That was the Ew. original name of the album. <laughs> That's a horrible name. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And then it got, you know, I don't know if it was Puff's idea we're so ready to die or if it was Big's idea, but then it got changed to Ready to Die. Right. But it definitely was Puff's influence on changing the name of that album. Yeah. So once again, you know, Puff's heavy influence on making sure Big not only gave you the street shit, but gave you those, you know, those M2 made juicy samples and those mm-hmm. Isaac Hayes, you know, in between the sheet samples for Isaac, the, the Big Isaac Papa. Brothers. Those Jesus was key. Christ. You take the, you take away Juicy and Big Papa. Yeah. What is ready to what die? Is re- yeah, okay. exactly. And okay. that's all. That was all uh, Puff's influence. So you got to give it to him. What do you remember from his relationship, Big's relationship with Tupac, man? With who? With Tupac. Oh man, them them guys was so they were so cool with each other, man. Like anytime Pac was in town, he would always come to Fulton Street and hang out with Big. They would just be hanging out on Fulton Street. Or if you know, if um if Big had a show, 
<clears throat> you know, Pop would just Pac would show up at his show and touch down with him on the show or whatever the case is. They always was just super tight and super cool. That's that's the relationship I remember. That's crazy, man. Would you talk to Big about it, man? No, I mean, when everything started to kind of get a little hazy and all fucked up, you know, with Pac getting locked up and him accusing Big and Puff of the, the shooting situation at the studio, I wasn't in constant contact with Big like I was on the early on side. So I really didn't know how Big was feeling as far as Pac accusing him and how he really felt. Um but I know it hurt him because right. I would always get the relay from C's or I would get the relay from D-Rock or some of the other cats that was rolling with Big at the time. But And I know it hurt him. And as much as it, as it, as, as much as it really hurt it Big and as much as he wanted to go at Pac back, even though with the who shots and all that so type of hard shit, to, to go it's hard, back right, it's so hard when you, it's, when it's somebody that's your dear friend. Right. That you look at as a dear friend, that you know what I mean, and then once again, Puff stepping in like, nah, we don't need to, go, we don't need to go back and forth. Let's keep doing what we doing. Right. So once again, Puff's influence on stepping in with Big and being like, yo, man, we don't, we ain't gonna go back and forth with this dude. Let's keep making these hit records. Let's keep doing what we do. Don't mess what would happen if Puff didn't step in? Right. Even though it still kind of ended tragically. Tragically. But it could have been crazy. You know, it might have ready to die might have not been recorded the same way right, if it right. wasn't for Puff stepping in and telling Big, listen, man, let's let's keep let's keep right. doing our numbers. Right, man. right, right, right. Um <clears throat> one more record I want to talk about on that. Well, which it wasn't part of that album, but it was part of that album cycle, man. Party and bullshit, man. Yes, sir. Well, party and bullshit, man. Yes, Shout out to Easy Mo B who produced that and record. And you came up with Easy Mo. I came up with and Easy like Mo some B. Of the, I learned the, the, how to rap. I, I fundamental started DJing. Cast. <clears throat> Easy Mo B lived in my building okay. in Bedstar, Brooklyn. Um, and I started uh, going up to his apartment, and and you know we used to DJ together all the time. So shout out to Easy Moby, he produced Party and Bullshit, and um, he came he came to us with the sample with the um, the um, the last poets niggas niggas all niggas want to do is party and bullshit and, and party, party and, and but bullshit. Big loved it. Big was like, yo, we going, yep. we, we doing it, we doing it. That was the shit. And. It was just an amazing record. The recording process was great. Um, me, um, Big Easy Mo B was in the studio at the time. Yeah. I don't even. I don't even think Puff was even at that session. Damn. Um, but just how much fun are you having at this time? It was like a lot of fun because it just kind of it kind of took me back and reminded me of that early recording process with Kane, right. where everything was organic and spontaneous, and you just went with the flow, and everything wasn't as structured as it is now to record a record. Right. You just right. went in, you just did it, one take, two takes, and it was done. I would imagine also what added to the fun was when you were down with Kane, you were so much younger and inexperienced, but now you were, in a sense, the eldest statesman right. in the room also. So you're having the same amount of fun, but you're a little right, bit right. more like, yo. That's great that, that's great that you mentioned that. Right. That's great that you mentioned that because, you know, Big wanted me to be his road manager. Right. And he wanted me to tour with him. And I was like, yo, my G, if I go on tour with you, I'm going to run a tight ship. Like right. You're not going to be able operation. to do crazy shit right. if I go on tour. Right. You feel what I'm saying? Right, right. So I was like, this is your time to have fun and do it the way you want to do it. So I'm going to turn down the offer. And I'm glad I did because right. he got to experience it. The way that he wanted to experience it. Because I would have ran a tight ship if I would have went. Yo, let me ask you, man. How did you not end up being a record guy? What do you mean? Like be working in, in a label? <clears> well, a... I worked for Mercury Records. I worked for Mercury um, Records back in, um, how long was I at Mercury? 96 to 98. I was a at Mercury. Okay, how would you like that, man? I loved it. I loved doing it. I was a at Mercury Records. I um, I helped um, with Diamond D's second album. Mm. Um, I 
executive produced um, Gina Thompson, if y'all remember mm-hmm. her. I remember Gina. Yep. You, wow. That was I, a big I basically record. structured that record and put so that record. So you put her in. together with Puff for, yeah, the, for the remix? Absolutely. That was a nice remix, man. Yeah, absolutely. I did that. Um, um, <laughs> Vanessa Williams. Oh, wow. One of her albums. Um, Brian McKnight. Um, the album with any the Anytime album, which was probably his biggest um, single album mm-hmm. to date. Right. Um, Tony, Tony, Tony. Um, mm-hmm. So I did, a, I did a lot of projects in that two years that I was at... Uh, Mercury um, doing A&R work. So I did have some experience with, hmm. with, with working at a label. What pulled you out of the label? <clears throat> Radio. Radio. And you know, I, I just, you know, that was just the, the true love for me was doing radio. And um, and you got down with Hot 97 when it was still formative. Right. I mean, I got down with Hot 97 in 1993. Jesus. So, like when, when they made the switch, right? Right, right, right. So I was like, you know, after Flex came in. You were first class. After Funk Master Flex and after Ed Lover and Dr. Dre came in, and it was me and Mr. Magic. Wow. We was did, like, did you think Hot 97 was going to become that instant? Absolutely not. I didn't think, you know, I you know, I know it was 24-hour hip-hop all right. day, and, you know, that had never been done before at that time, but I didn't think it was going to be what it is and what it's become. The summer jams. The summer jams. and, and, and The legends. Like, everything. The big, the, the, um, we just talk about this off the, off the mic. The Nas and Jay-Z beef, how that whole thing oh my came God. about. On, we was making people vote. <laughs> Or whatever. I was the only one from Hot ninety seven holding hove down. Everybody was <clears throat> was um was uh oh, voting God, for Nas up there at the station. Um when Take Biggie away. passed away yes. on March 9th, yes. how we had to announce the news on the radio. Uh-huh. You know, the the good and the bad times and the and the um the good, the bad and the ugly that we went through, that I went through in the twenty one years that I was at Hot ninety seven was was great. Was what, was, what was your last conversation with Big? Oh boy. Last conversation was big. I'll tell you the the last time I hung out with Big. I was uh, getting ready to do a party in Jersey, but I was on the radio, I was on that, on on the Ad Hot, Hot 97, and I had to do a party in Jersey. And Skin Deep, if y'all remember the R&B yes, group, Skin Deep, yes, yes, they yes. was performing at this club I was doing in Jersey. So I announced it on the radio that that's where I was going to be. Big calls me while I'm on the air, and he was like, "You still at the station?" And I was like, "Yeah," and he's like, "All right," and he just hung up. And he used to always call me LeBro, because my right. last name is LeBron. LeBron. So when we would pick up the phone, he'd be like, LeBro. And I'd be like, Wallace. That would always be our introduction <laughs> right, to each right. other on the phone. So he's like, you still at the station? I'm like, yeah, I'm still on the air. And he just hung up. When I got off the air, Big was waiting for me downstairs in front of the station. And he's like, yo, I'm coming with you to Jersey. Hmm. Now, Big was big. He was Biggie at that he was king time. king of New York. He was king of New he York. Was, this is 95, 96. Frank 96, White. He was already right. Frank He was White. the king. So he's rolling with me at the club. So, my, you know, when I get there, Skin Deep is already performing. So, you know, the girls going crazy, whatever, whatever. When I walked in with Big, oh my God, <laughs> that whole crowd went from watching Skin Deep to coming over to where Big was. And Skin, it, I felt so bad for Skin Deep because they still had to do a show. They were performing. They were performing uh, everybody's best. They were dancing. After, after they performed, I got on the set, killed it. Big hung out. Um, and I remember it was a Sunday night. And um, and then after that, Big was like, yo, let's go to the tunnel. Let's go check out Flex. Let's go to the tunnel. And I was like, yeah, right, I'm going to come with you. And I act like I was following him. And you I just dipped, went you dipped. That's the last time I saw Big. Let me ask you something, man. Where did you hone, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you why, where did you hone over the years as a DJ, like as a radio DJ, where did you hone your skills to the level where you're at right now? That's a great question. I mean, you know, just coming up under people like Mr. Magic and, and, and Marley Marl and Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out, coming up under them, being that second, what I call that that second 
or wave of uh, radio DJs um, from the 90s coming up under them. That's why I learned. That's how I learned how to do radio properly, how to um, mix properly, how to, um, you know, come in and out of a record or how to talk. Uh, uh, you know, talk into a record and then, but don't talk over the words or so on and so forth. Just learning from Red Alert, Chuck Chill Out, Marley Mall, Mr. Magic, and of course Frankie Crocker. Learning from those guys. That's that's that. that's what that's what my whole craft comes from as far as radio. Now it seems to me like the culmination of all that training was present during when the controversy hit. Mm-hmm. When the controversy hit. You talk about what my controversy With your controversy hit, mm-hmm. and and you were scheduled to be if, if y'all don't know who, what he's talking about, let's just get it out the air. You know, a couple of years back, I got caught, you know. They know uh, what we're talking about, but go ahead. Well, they, well, you know, some people may not know, but, right. you know, a couple of years back, I got caught getting some fellatio from a transsexual <laughs> on uh, two different occasions back in 2011 and 2013. Okay, now go ahead. Now, the 2011 incident, uh-huh. you were scheduled to be on your regularly, you know, scheduled show. Noon, right? right. The old school at noon right. at, at Hot 97. Right. You came on, and I remember I was working at the source at the time, and everybody, mm. it was one of those rare moments, like like the Jay-Z Nas mm. moment, like 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 one of those moments mm. where everybody had to hear what the fuck you had to say. Right. You could hear a pin drop in the office, and you played music for an hour? Yeah, because that's what, how long the show you is. You played music for an hour. And I'm not bullshitting you, man. That was you killed it. Next level. It was a and the songs. The songs that I played had some significance of everything that was going on. If you remember, it, so I was yes. playing records like "Hate yeah. Me Now." Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, like I was playing songs in relevance to everything that was going on. But it was yeah. a spiritual experience, at least mm-hmm. for me and everybody in the office at the time. It was it transcended. To me, it has to be arguably the best DJ performance I ever heard live Damn, on radio. Thank you, man. How did you prepare for that? I did it. Well, you know, when everything jumped off that that uh, the day before or the night before, right. when everything kind of jumped off with um, people hearing about me getting arrested or whatever the case is, um, I'll never forget Ebro, who was the program director at the time. He um, called me and he was like, are you coming on the air tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, I'm coming on the air. And he was like, that's all I want to know. And right. he hung up. Right. And in the middle of the, you know, I'm up in the crib. And in the middle of the night, say like two, three in the morning, I just came up with the idea like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak on if it's true or not of what happened, but I'm just gonna speak with certain records. I'm gonna let the record speak for what's going on or whatever the case is. And I just started going through my laptop and just going through all different types of records or whatever the case is and came up with that set and then um and I did it. Now I'm I'm not gassing, but I'm sitting here being all dramatic, saying to me it was like a metaphysical experience. Was it that for you? You know, yes and no, because um, yes, because of the way I structured and put the the music together and I was speaking through the music and I knew that people was listening. Um, The crazy thing is that when that happened, I wasn't on Twitter and Instagram at the time. Right. And so I, I knew people was listening. I just didn't know the enormity of it. Listen, you're so fortunate that you wasn't plugged into social media now, i wasn't even I because wasn't even that shit was like right, right i didn't even i wasn't even on instagram or twitter at that time right. and um but everybody was telling me what was going on and um so listening back to it that day and i'm like okay i did a great job but deep down inside in my soul um i felt ashamed because i was lying right because I was lying to people, you know, even though I never said whether it was true or not that particular day. Right, 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 right. But the set that I did didn't do any justice for me, for my for my inner self, because 
I'm still not confronting telling people what what's really going on. Right, right. So um, that's where I was torn with when I with, with that set. I still listen back to that set or whatever. That the case set is. was amazing. Though. And and um, if you want a copy of, it, I'll send you a link. Oh, if you please, want to copy. man, that phenomenal, um, phenomenal. And, um, you know, I was proud of what I did and how right. I represented myself and represented the station at that time. But deep down inside, I was like, you know, that. But that's not really what it is. Right. I'm, you know, I'm basically doing that as a facade because I don't want to confront what's really going right. on. Hip hop is the that genre that's still so close minded. Right. Were you surprised at the people that came and supported you, man? Um, cause, 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 at the end of the day. For most of us, at least most of us that have a fucking brain, it didn't fucking matter what you did because of your contributions to the game. It didn't matter. That was your personal Well, life. I tell you, know, I tell some of my fellow DJs that I know, if I was a whack DJ, if I was a, if I was a whack DJ, I would have been finished. Right. I would have been done. Right. I don't care what anybody tries to tell me. If I wasn't, quote unquote, Mr. C the finisher and talented on the set and and I didn't put my work into this game, I would have been done finished. The only thing that saved me is my body of work. And that's the way I look at your it. Talent. And my talent. That's what I'm saying. My body of work. My talent. Your body and what work I continue and your to, continuous and, and what talent. I continue right. to do. Um so um once that started <clears throat> started to sink in, um, then I started walking a little bit more taller right. and walking a little bit more prouder. In a sense of, you know what, motherfuckers gonna say what they're gonna say. As long as they, put, they don't put their hands on me or put their hands on of my course, family, I'm gonna keep on doing what of I'm course, doing. Of course, of course. And then the video came out oh, in 2013. My. Yo, did you think it was a rap, man? I thought when that when the video came out, I was just like, what, what the fuck? I didn't get arrested, but a right. video, video come out, and I'm just in the like, age, like the the advent of the age right. of video, a video, and I'm just like, you know, I'm done. Right, like I'm done. You know, and that you're numb. You can't think, and I'm, you have to continue moving. And right, and and it, you know, I tell people, you know, when I first went through it in 2011, I was a dead man walking. Right, because I, I felt like I, I felt like I was dead in a casket at my own funeral, watching people see who comes to the funeral, who out of doesn't body. show you up, out of body. Right, and who's coming to the pew? Who's talking about me in the back of the pew? Who's coming to say what's up to me while I'm in my casket and still shitting on me in the back of the pew? Right. Who's coming to show real? That's how I felt in 2011 right. when the shit happened. When I got arrested, when the shit happened in 2013 with the video, it was just like you Fuck. fucking idiot. Right. It was. Just, it was just like you idiot. And it's like, you know, if it wasn't for Ebro and, and Funk Flex at the time, that really kind of. Put me in that path to be like my nigga. If you don't come forward now, this whole shit is gonna crumble. Right. Meaning my brand, everything. Right. If it wasn't for them two, I, I I don't even really know if I would have been able to move forward. Going back to that interview the second time with, the, with, with, with Ebro, with Ebro right. that 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 is some of the best radio. It's also some of the most painful radio. Right. Um, do you think you should have did that, man? Looking back, because- I wouldn't have. I, there's no way I could have done that interview when I when I admitted. Everything in 2013, right. which was what was that? The day after I got, I, I quit, and then it was the next morning right. <clears throat> that I came back to do the interview with Ebro. I couldn't have did it without Ebro and right. Flex. So, I so that no was way. therapeutic. Yeah, it was just you know, you know, and you know, and you know, so many people has come to me in the past and said, you know, Ebro only wanted to do that interview because he wanted to get his weight up with the morning show and all of that. So fucking what if right. he did it because of right, that? Right, right, right. It helped I mean, you. this is this is what this is what any interviewer, if, if any controversy is going down, if, you know, like we just had some shit going on a week or so ago with Wiz Khalifa and Kanye. Yes. What 
person that does radio or any form of social media is not going to want to interview Wiz and and, and you, you and lose Kanye. credibility. That, this you is lose, what right. people that like yourself live for. You right. want to do that. So I don't not, live. I don't live for that. By the way, but, I don't live for no, that. I but I gotta ask it. Right. But I, I understand what you're right. saying. Right. But the point I'm making is, is that it you you wouldn't be doing your job if you don't try to get at whatever the hot topic is. Right. You wouldn't be doing your job. So even though. I know in my true in my heart that Ebro was there for me as a true which friend, is, which is yes, and Flex as a, as true friends. But I, of course, there probably was a part of Ebro that was like, "Nigga, come to the home this station is, and is, let's this. come clean." Exactly, man. exactly. And and so why not do it in my own backyard and and be honest with myself and your family and my family you're, you're, in all, in my own backyard. Right. And so Ebro and and Flex made it comfortable for that. House therapy, man. Well, I mean, you know. I'm actually, I'm actually going to get go back to therapy because right. I've been off of therapy now for like three years. Right. How was it's it? It's crazy that it's crazy that you asked me that because I I've been off therapy for three years and I'm kind of I tell people I'm in remission for mm. three years as far as that type of activity, right. you know. But lately, I've been saying to myself I need to go back to therapy just to just to you know talk about some things that's going on in my mind. Nothing in the sense of wanting to go back into that lifestyle or anything like that but just i just got some things that i just want to let out that only my therapist can probably understand so i'm actually going to go back into therapy this week the reason why i bring that up is because I'm, no, I'm in therapy right now mm-hmm. and you know when i was asking you about your childhood like the the burning down the house mm-hmm. and then seeing your mom or whatever else mm-hmm. isn't it amazing man that that particularly us as black men we go through life manning up, not realizing that the trauma that we go through as kids has an effect on us. Well, you our- know, that's one of the things, you know, when I did, when I was going through therapy back in 2013, <clears throat> that's one of the things that, you know, my therapist was kind of explaining to me was that a lot of things is based on childhood and a lot of things. Trauma. That, it's you know, trauma. Trauma. That, and you even though you don't realize it and even though when you went through it, it probably didn't traumatize you as much. But a part of it is probably from that. I, I, I would tend to disagree because I know what led me into the path that I was going through. It's that as goddamn, far as that the, goddamn the, porn collection. Right. You know, <laughs> as far as the sexual activity that I was involved in, you, you know, from 2000, uh, 2007 up until, you know, uh, 2013, right. I know what led to that. It, it had nothing to do with what I was going through. It basically has something to do with me elevating my sexual appetite of course. from, you know, fucking with strippers to... What's the next level shit? Fucking with regular <laughs> prostitutes, then fucking with transsexuals. Right. So, it, it, you know, it that's as simply as I can cut it, as simply as I can make it. It's no no better, no worse. And I and, and I I would never ever uh I would never ever condemn myself or anybody, any other male person that involved themselves in, in that type of activity. Right. The only thing that I'm ashamed of in the whole process is that I was doing it illegally. Right. You know what I mean? Or whatever the case is. If if I choose to want to do that, that's my life. It's of course, what of course, I want to do. Of course. But, you know, doing it illegally and risking my risking my life and risking, you know, my family's, you know, all of that is just, you know, it puts me in a fucked up state and right. it puts my family in a fucked up state. And so coming out of this whole ordeal, you know, last from from 2013, that's the thing that I kind of learned the most is, is that 
whether I decide to want to do it or not, nigga, get a room. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm just keeping it funky right, with you. Right, right. You know, um, I'm not in that place at this moment, but nigga, get a room. Get a room. Don't don't put yourself at risk. Especially you know? with the name that you carry. People right. are looking. You know, one you know, one thing one thing is that when I was going through that whole whirlwind, I never thought about I never thought about I'm Mr. C and I'm recognizable. You know, and I'm recognizable. I never thought about that. Right. You know, when when the when the when the video came out in 2013, you know, before I went on the air and, and admitted, you know, everything, I told Flex everything, told Flex everything. And um, and the, the main thing he said, like, my nigga, you didn't think nobody was going to recognize you? And I was like, After my 30 dude. years of contribution <laughs> to this culture. And I'm like, yo, I, I said to Flex, yo, man. I don't look at myself as some. I don't look at you myself look at like Jay-Z that. You look at Jay Z over here. You look at Fifty over there. You're not looking at. Yourself I don't look at myself sa- as I'm right. uh, Mr. C. I'm this. I'm that. But like, you, but see, and you are, man. And I'm not saying that from that. I'm right. saying as people that right. respect you, man. You are right. Like, and that, been, that, that was the main thing that Flex said. Like right. you're my nigga. Like you're Mr. C. You can't. You can't be out here. <laughs> and, and 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 you know even even. Even the Breakfast Club, even Envy and Charlemagne, you know, even though I got my issues with Charlemagne, of course. you know, um, but Envy, even when all of that was going on, Envy made a great point that I give him a lot of credit for. He even said during that whole ordeal, it's like, yo, I, I'm, I really worry about C. Yes. Because I, I, I worry that what if somebody, you know, he gets into that type of situation, somebody put a gun out on him right, or right, somebody right. wants to do something to him. So all of those things <clears throat> that was going on in that particular time. I kind of took it in consideration and I was just like, man, either I'm going to, you know, get myself right and get some help and it's, get some help in a sense of mentally understanding the illegal side of the situation. Managing some impulses right. that might lead you into a dangerous right. situation. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you get arrested, you get arrested in 2011 and then fucking... 2013 pops up, you get arrested, or the end of 2012, you get arrested again, and then 2013, the video come. You, you're not in control of you're not the in situation. Control. You're not in control. You're and, not in control right. of it. So and, it's just like, I gotta, for me, it's like, I just, from then on, I was like, I gotta get in control of this situation. Now, thanks for sharing that, man. Nah, no thank, problem, thank you man. For, Now, tell us, man, once again, man, you're, 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 you're on the radio right now. Tell us tell us about the, about the show. Radio 103.9, right. Monday through Saturday, I'm on... Three times a day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., 15-minute coffee break mix. Monday through Friday, 12 noon with the uh, throwback at noon. And then, uh, like I said earlier, 103.9, we are the only station in New York that plays old-school hip-hop all day Saturday, all day Sunday, every weekend. We call it the Weekend Boombox, and I do a show called the Classic Showcase every Saturday, 7 p.m. to midnight, five hours of classic hip-hop. Are you developing any new talent? Absolutely not. No. You're, because you're, my nigga, you come from Kane and Big. If they not even in that realm, what are we doing this for? Who are your top five? Top five rappers of all time? Yes. I knew you was gonna ask me that. I mean, I gotta ask. <laughs> I, knew you. He was gonna, I was like, he's gonna ask me today. I gotta ask. Today, you. this is where I'm going with today, which is a different list than I went with before. Today, I'm going with Big Daddy Kane yes. first. Yes. I'm going with Jay Z second. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Big third. Brooklyn. It's a heavy Brooklyn. And the reason I'm going with Kane first and why I say that is because there's no Hove and Big without Kane. There's obviously no Hove without Kane. Kane is the first Brooklyn hip-hop superstar. Yes. And I know I've done other interviews where I haven't really given it up to Kane like the way I should. 
but it's Kane first, then Hove, then Big, then Rakim, then Nas. That's my fire. That's my fire. Fire. Mr. C, man, I really appreciate this. Thank you, bro. Any questions from you, man? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I enjoyed the interview, and, you know, I enjoy what you do, and, you know. Thank you, man. It's just, it's you know, I, you know, like, the stuff that you've been doing, you know, for the past couple of years with this whole combat jack thing is like, um, I really appreciate how you're, you're fair to everybody that you do interview, and, um. I know we were supposed to get up before and, you know, some things didn't really come about or whatever the case this is. This was so but, organic, man. But I'm glad that it finally happened. And I hope we get to do the, those parties together, man. No, we're going we're gonna to do it. I would love to do those parties with yes, you. Sir. I definitely am in. I want to do those parties. Mr. C, man, thank you, man. Continue success. This is such a fucking, uh, like I said, I've been following you since 88, <laughs> my nigga. 88. Y'all niggas wasn't even born yet. Hey, I was dancing in the club with your moms, niggas. <laughs> I'm going to be 50 this year, man. I'm going to be 5-0 this year. Beautiful. Man. That's God beautiful, willing, right? If I make it to August 17th, I'll be 50 this year, and I'll still crack any of you DJs that's listening right ah. now. Put the clock on speed. I'll chew all your asses up. There you up. go. There you go. Kels, what's up, man? What up? It's good to see you. Good to see you. How's the J-O-B? <laughs> Whatever, right? You're here right now, right? Right. We got Mr. Exactly. C in the building. A legend. What'd you, What'd you think? What'd you think? My pleasure. Yo, no. you see these internets is out here talking about you right now. I know. I'm. I'm I know. You I'm flabbergasted? Trying I'm trying to adjust. Nigga, still argue with us in our mentions about the last show. I'm nigga, like, don't don't argue with nobody. <laughs> that that last to. nigga right before you came I know, on. I know. I know. I told I know. him. I said I want him to leave more messages. Yeah, I know. I need that passion. I ain't understand though. I'm like nigga went to jail. Like I, I need a hater like that. You do. Well, Just snipping at the hill. We got, we got one. Em. Yeah. <laughs> Internet, listen, man. I'm not going to keep y'all anymore because this, this, this episode is perfect. Y'all know what it is. Dream those dreams and then glow up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white. Yep. And the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Yep. Hey, yo, Internet's me, Combat Jack. I want to give a big shout-out to TuneCore for sponsoring today's Combat Jack show. If you're an independent musician and you want your music sold on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, and other digital services, you need a trusted music distributor. That is TuneCore. TuneCore will help you get your music distributed and sold worldwide. I know all you struggle MCs out there trying to get your music out there. All you struggle singers and R&B writers. Yo, get your music out there, man. Get out your fucking mom's basement. Go to combat.tunecore.com today to create a free account and save 20% on music distribution. That's TuneCore. Combat.tunecore.com. Tell them Combat sent you. This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production. Yo, I'm from East New York, man. What the fuck is wrong with y'all having this piece of shit up on your show? Why the fuck y'all give this fucking piece of shit a platform? Fuck you, fuck the Callback Jack show, fuck A-King, you fat fuck, fuck all of y'all up there. I convinced so many people to listen to y'all fucking show, I ain't ever listening to y'all show again. Yo, I was one of the young dudes back in the day, these dirty, the 75 is still fucking dirty, them dirty ass racist motherfuckers, and you let this guy on a, you interview this fucking piece of shit, what the fuck is wrong with y'all?
Come on, man. How you gonna have Peter shooting all these dudes up here and then you gonna interview this fucking dirty piece of dirty cop? A dirty cop is worse than a rat. Interview real dudes, man. You got, interview AZ and Kevin Childs, the real dudes out here, man. Interview the real dudes, man. Get in touch with Guy Fisher and these dudes. You got Matula Shakur coming back home. Stop interviewing these fucking dirty cops, man. What's up with you and these fucking filthy ass cops? You keep, this is the second time you did this shit, man. Come on, man. All the shit that's going on with the cops that we, especially in the 75 precinct, man. Especially, you know, you know, I caught a case with these dirty cops out here. They threw that shit out of court, man. You interviewing this motherfucker? And you about to invite him to do a, have a show on a loudspeaker's network? Yeah, you really are a lawyer, man. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Come on, man. Get, get your shit together up there, man. Stop giving these fucking people a platform. They already got a platform. Fuck y'all, man. And fuck the 75 precinct, too, fucking dirty-ass cops. Fuck y'all.